Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-228-4101. I'm sorry, 228-4101. Coming up later on uh, uh, today, we have uh, from the Oregonian, Ryan White, who is the music editor uh, and the writer for that fine publication. Also, Dax Holt from TMZ, who's going to be joining us at 8 o'clock today. And Mr. Skin, who... Or is Mr. Skin on a plane? Mr. Skin is on a plane today. Mr. Mr. Skin Skin will not be a... He will... uh, Mrs. Skin... Yes, and is all the little skins. Skin? Uh, there's always, there's the, many, the many. Skin skins. summer vacation. Um, so uh, yeah, he will be, uh, he is in absentia. He will be uh, joining us uh, next week. At the news desk, ladies and gentlemen, your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. It's going to be very, very hot today. High temperatures near 90 degrees. A Tualatin man is charged with stabbing his wife in the head with a steak knife. 33-year-old Zelia battles... Allegedly, he stabbed his wife when he saw the cops coming for him. They were responding to a domestic violence call at a Child's Road apartment complex. Battles is charged with attempted murder, assault, and violating his parole. The victim was rushed to OHSU and is in serious condition. Then, a battleground man accused of assaulting his girlfriend with a car. <laughs> Where's, that, where's that coming from? That's your computer. Are you trying to play that? There's nothing on my computer. No, so hold it's on. coming from your computer. Hold on a second. Picture your stress as a ball of white light exiting out of your fingertips. You are in a safe place. Nothing can harm you. It's really now, slowly relax your toes. It's so odd because I only have one thing open and it is my traffic board. Wait, I got another one. Hold on. Okay, so I'm going to have you undress to your comfort level. And if you want to lay under the uh, sheet... And uh, the massage therapist will be in uh, soon. There's also a, a whirlpool and um, hot stones in this corner that we can use as well. Okay, my name is Mandy. Thank you. What is going on? It's, Why, it's, where's it's that coming, sound coming from? The only thing that was open was my my traffic board. <laughs> I mean, is Metro Traffic offering is it, Wait, hold on. It here's, has a soundtrack now. Okay, here's, I've, I've got a third one then. This is Metro Traffic, and the rapture is at hand. There are going to be thousands and thousands of stalled vehicles everywhere this morning. So uh, you might want to give yourself a little extra commute time. Thanks so much. So getting back to the story of this battleground man. Accused of assaulting his girlfriend with a car. Cops say 27-year-old David Sorrell allegedly drove off with his 20-year-old woman clinging to the hood of his car following a spat. He then hit a mailbox. She's not hurt. He's charged with vehicular assault in DUI. It's unknown if she still loves him. <laughs> Where is this? Battleground? Battleground. I don't think that's unknown at all, Tim. I think we know exactly. I think we know definitively that she still loves him. Well, it was another bad afternoon at St. John's where it doesn't take much to spoil the day anyway. <laughs> a big rig Just o- waking up is enough. A big rig overturned, spilling its load of scrap metal onto the St. John's Bridge and onto a nearby car. I panic every time that happens. I am always next to a huge thing pulling scrap iron every time I go into St. John's and see it dumped it on another car. It could have been me. Luckily, nobody was hurt. 
It took hours to clean up, but scrap iron. But scrap iron, it's like Christmas in St. John's, dumped everywhere. <laughs> Kids, <laughs> that's what Santa brings to St. John's. Hello, I've got medals for everyone for the recycling center. The might uh, not stuff your stockings today. <laughs> um, the uh, you brought me a tailpipe. The the thing about a, a truck full of scrap iron. That's one of those things that you only see. Well, you, there's, a you hear it in a story uh, on this uh, program, or B you see it in a movie. And where its only purpose is to tip over, not unlike it's it's like one of those uh, uh, fruit stands in, in New York that exist only to be slammed into by out of control police cars in uh, in chase scenes in films. But here's something the tourist people in St. John's probably don't want published. Wow. Oh my god. So that's just so that is just a, a massive truck looking. full of iron. Did it say you tipped over because of a car onto a car? A- apparently, not onto a car itself, but spill some onto a nearby car. You know. There's very little room if you're in the other lane on the St. John's Bridge. Yeah, it's like narrow. One eighth of an inch. Yeah, no, it's it's a that is that almost seems like a uh, like a footbridge that they've somehow tried to jam traffic onto. But but it's scary. I was just there the other day, so yeah. be of the St. John's Bridge. Uh, we have some other things to talk about today. I don't know where you want to start. First of all, uh, the mystery goo that's floating off the Alaska coast. Something big and strange is floating between Wainwright and Barrow. That's way up there in, in Alaska, tippity-top. Hunters uh, for, from a uh, fishing fleet noticed this stuff early last week. It's thick and dark and gooey, and it's dripping for miles in the cold Arctic waters, according to the North Slope Planning and Community Service Department. They've been joined by the U.S. Coast Guard, flown in to investigate. The agency found globs of stuff floating miles offshore and collecting samples for testing. Uh, they sent a helicopter up, and they spotted a long strand of globs <laughs> and followed it for 15 miles, shooting video from the air. The next day, uh, the floating substance arrived on shore from Barrow. That's way at the top of Alaska, if you look at the map. It's the last thing up there. And officials uh, went out in boats, collected uh, blobs of glob, and uh, brought them back. I don't testing. understand what we're talking about. I've, I've... So there's a giant glob of something, and they don't know what it is. Mystery goo. We've really had this story on spool for a minute or so here, just because I wanted to try to figure out if I was going to be able to understand this. That I the answer. I can to that start is, again. The answer to that is no. Is that going to? Sarah's my computer uh, turned down over there. Now it is. Would you like more background? Yes, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to start creating more the more <laughs> ambient relaxation noise. It's certainly biological. It's definitely not an oil product of any kind. It has no characteristics at all. Trying to figure out. Something can't have no characteristics at all. That seems implausible. Well, that's that why they're testing like a, it to find out what's missing in this mystery blob. Like a scientifically in, infeasible way to describe something. Um, this is like that fungus that they found in the in the uh, the the Oregon forest that they said is the largest organism on Earth. Where there's that there's that fungus or something. It's it's like a mushroom that's seventeen and a half miles long or whatever. And they said it was the single largest. Uh, but they, but they said they couldn't figure out where it came from or why it existed. All right. See now, every time I touch anything on this computer, I'm just waiting for the for the weird uh, hypnosis noise to start coming back. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley at the news desk from Southern California. It always starts there, and then it sweeps America. They're issuing a warning to residents to be cautious following two recent incidents in which thieves followed shoppers to their cars when they saw them making expensive purchases, followed them home, and then when they left, broke into the house and stole things, or stole it out of the car while they were going to unlock the door to go in the house. The Ventura County Star reports two recent incidences. Uh, customers either placed items in the trunk of the car, then returned to shop, and then went home, leaving the items in the trunk to retrieve later. 
I mean, thieves opened the trunk when people went in the house. Jesus. Well, that's, that is sort so of... So run into the house with your purchases, lock the door as soon as possible, <laughs> if you live in California. You know, the next thing will it's just no be... no exaggeration, really. They're just going to start creating underground tunnels between yourself and the shopping center of your choosing. Uh, that'll be the next uh, the luxury purchase that you can have add on to your home. It'll just be some sort of a uh, some sort of secured underground motorway that will take you from the Walmart back to your uh, back to your abode. Because this is just sort of an escalation of that thing where the homeless guys will hang outside the plaid pantry, and then when you leave, they'll ask you for change because they know that you have some because they know you just bought something. This is just an advanced version of that. Well, it's really sad that that's what's coming to the world. Say, has anybody seen those pictures of Michael Jackson online with his uh, limbs burned? <laughs> yes. Yeah, where he's got it's the big... the nation. He's got the big... Uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, ne- Here's a phrase you don't want to have applied to your body. Necrotic wound. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of like what that... Uh, it's like a huge version of those things they show you every year when they're warning you about hobo spiders. Where they, Don't let the hobo spider attack you. It happened to this man. And then they show a guy and his hand is all stumped up and it's just and it's all blackened. And how ironic that that's the one part of Michael Jackson that had just turned black. Yeah. Never mind. Go ahead. And then the other video that's sweeping the nation, the Pepsi commercial, it's like nobody ever heard of it happening before. 25-year-old video. Show Michael Jackson's scalp on fire. But nobody would ever seen... I don't think we'd ever seen that, not the top, Not the top of his head burned like they were showing yesterday. But, oh, I didn't see that. Yet. Oh, wow. You haven't seen it? No. Oh, see, oh, this is... It's, it's right. the, the nation. arm, it's, but... No, it's, it's, it's... Yesterday it was Dave Chappelle. Today it's Michael Jackson's burnt scalp. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so should I just look at Michael Jackson's burned? My new punk band will be Michael Jackson's burnt scalp. Uh, it's probably at... Uh, it's, Michael Jackson's burnt scalp. It, it's probably... Well, I know Drudge has it. Everybody and, has it. Yeah, I, I'm surprised you didn't get it emailed to you. Um, I had a bunch of people send it to me yesterday. It's the latest thing. It, it's, it's amazing. So I would have been... I don't know. I was, I was in school, I think, when that still happened. But, uh, the, but Michael Jackson was filming this Pepsi commercial in 1984. And he was walking down a staircase, and some pyrotechnics went off at the wrong moment. They went off too early. And his hair caught on fire. And the thing is, he he just didn't realize it because it was the top of his hair. And, of course, you know, you're in performing mode, and you, your adrenaline's going on. And plus, anytime there's fire or pyrotechnics on stage, you know, it's so hot up there anyway. It's just very disorienting. And, and it, so he just didn't realize his hair had caught on fire. Until suddenly you just see these, you know, these people just plunge from the sidelines and they throw him down to the ground with a towel over his head. But so that was in 1984. So that was 25 years ago. So the video has never been seen. Yeah, though. Us Magazine owns it. So go to usmagazine.com. So, yeah. So they just yesterday uh, that video was on the Internet, which I think is the first time that anybody has really seen the footage of uh, of him getting all, all flamed up. Uh, it's creepy. Exclusive video right at the top. There it is. You say with barely concealed excitement. Well, he's he's dead. It's not like we're I mean, watch now. That we're mocking so his pain while he's that alive. Everyone's saying led to his painkiller addiction. Yeah. Well, and also his image problems because you can't see his face here very much. But apparently, it was second and third degree burns on his head and face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're, they're saying that this is the other. This is also the thing that led to him having such weird uh, neuroses. Like face of, problems. Yeah, just neuroses about the way he but, looked. But I can see that happening. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, burns are. I mean. You don't want to be burned. No. Then you have to use that HDTV makeup, and that's uh, that's nobody's idea of a good time. Everybody Are you watching it now? Orange. Yeah, so that sucks because he was like the king of pop, and that's kind of, that was like his downfall, wasn't yeah. it? Like, yeah. Remember yeah. his head caught on fire? Well, that was, that's always the downfall of everything. I don't think you have to be the king of pop for your head catching on fire to be your downfall. <laughs> I think that, reasonably speaking, that would lead to the downfall of most most people in most careers.
if Tim's head were to catch on fire right now. Well, that's why many stars shave their heads now to avoid that. Having their hair catch oh, on fire. Oh, wow. See? That's what I'm saying. Is <gasps> Isn't isn't that freaky? That is awful. And the the sequence where he where he's walking down the stairs and his head is on fire is the freakiest thing. That's very unnerving. Oh, I don't like that. And then he Sarah and then, does not like this. No, and then he gets up off the ground and he's just got a huge section of his scalp joint and, and you you know and his face is all yeah it's all it's it's bad. Oh my god. So so you kids everybody go watch that now it's a. Uh, Everyone's going to be watching it all day anyway. It's the, it's the latest thing. Once you start early, so you have something to talk. You about start watching it to me. You just can't stop. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley at the news desk. So it looks like TMZ may be wrong. Michael Jackson's death is not not being treated as a homicide. Contrary to previous reports, LAPD is not launching a homicide probe into Michael Jackson's death. Uh, the DEA, uh, the DA's office, says the report claims the investigation has become a criminal investigation, and that is false. They want to say why they can't comment on whether or not the LAPD is approaching the death as a murder. They say, quote, nothing has changed. The investigation continues, and an unknown source says the police have not ruled out homicide. All right, let's do uh, one more here, and then we'll get, to, we'll get caught up around the corner. So this is catching on nationwide. Uh, Dave Chappelle's thing. This is uh, what the kids are into after Michael Jackson's hair. It all goes to show the power of Twitter. So now everybody's going to get into this. All these performers are going to start doing this it was, now. It, yeah, it was the number one Google uh, search term yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible. But we never get a final figure on how many people are down there. Some Did you see what the that. cops said? Uh, the cops said there were 2,000 people there. That okay. was their figure, which seems patently unbelievable to me. It seems like it was... Uh, uh, also, there was that... I don't know if you've got this. Somebody sent me a copy of the police log uh, report about the Chappelle thing. Uh, so the so the Portland police filed... You know, they have to file a report and everything. You know, anytime they're called anywhere, any anytime something, you know, sort of happens uh, during their shift... And there was a police log uh, in a report that somebody sent me that they noted that, that uh, I'll have to find it and read the actual copy. But they said that, that Chappelle showed up and he was just sort of um, said, Mr. Chappelle did not anticipate the reaction that his arrival would cause in Pioneer Courthouse Square and was very cooperative and understanding with the police and their, you know, their concern over the issue. So they put the crowd at somewhere between two and twenty two thousand and twenty five hundred, which seems a little bit on the low side uh, to me. But there's going to be two things that happen to this. One is every uh, celebrity on earth now is going to try to do this. We're not, yes. we're now, Demi Moore will try to show up somewhere uh, and cause an incident by appearing in the middle of a town. And also, every jackass with a Facebook account is going to attempt to create a 10,000-person riot by saying that Weird Al Yankovic is going to be mm-hmm. appearing. Weird Al Yankovic is not appearing anywhere, by the way, to the best of my knowledge. Will he be soon? Well, at some point. Uh, but it will not be announced by some nerd in his basement uh, on Facebook, just like FYI. So the first uh, thing is to check into the Heathman, I guess, because it's walking distance. That's right, Tim. All right, straight ahead, we have more from Tim Riley coming up later on today. We'll talk to Ryan White, who's the Oregonian music editor, in his search for the definitive American rock band. Uh, we will also talk to Dax Holt from TMZ. You stay there. We're live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday morning. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO.
Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we'll talk to Dax Holt from TMZ. Uh, later on, we'll talk to, uh, this hour rather, we'll talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum about uh, uh, Paul McCartney, who I think is... So I think there's some some deal where he's going to be doing... He's going to be recreating the rooftop concert. You know, like the Beatles, they had the, the uh, you know, the... the you know, the let it be, get it back thing where they were playing on top of the rooftop. Anyway, so McCartney. He made his TV debut on the Ed Sullivan Show 45 years ago. So, and I. 45 awesome. years ago. And of all of the. <laughs> 45 years ago. You say as though it's a misprint. You just had that, you just had that, uh, that rose in Titanic moment. The, uh, the mirror is the same. The reflection is changed. Uh, but McCartney, as he always does, is demonstrating his ability to be the uh, one Beatle who goes back and, and just sort of kicks the Beatle corpse over and over and over again. Not unlike when he did that thing where he played at the uh, that thing when he played at the Cavern Club. I don't know, like maybe six or seven years ago, which I think actually doesn't even exist anymore. I think it was like I think the Cavern Club exists the same way that like uh, all that stuff at Coney Island now exists, which is where they've knocked it down and then built a plastic replica of the thing on yeah. the same location, but now it's sponsored by Krispy Kreme or something. Anyway. Uh, and then Jim Rupp will uh, join us here in a bit uh, to talk about uh, the Emmy Awards. At this juncture, before we do anything else, we should note uh, that if you are caller 10 right now at 503-228-4101, 503-228-4101, you will win yourself a uh, complete sixth season set of Reno 911. God, I love that show. Uh, Reno 911, the complete sixth season, uncensored on DVD, now available from Comedy Central. And it is, according to the copy points, locked, cocked, and ready to rock. Your Please favorite? tell me that Greg wrote that. No, no, no. Those are, these are the official copy points from Comedy Central. This is uh, Viacom wants people to know. Uh, your favorite deputy's back for another hilarious season of the hit series, Reno 911. If you are caller uh, number 10 right now at 503-228-4101, you get the sixth season on DVD. At the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. It is 6.01. It's going to be near 90 degrees today. A man who stabbed his roommate 42 times is locked up for now. A man who confessed to killing his roommate by stabbing him will not be released to a residential treatment facility, at least for now. 29-year-old Rex Gorger will remain at the Oregon State Hospital until a full psychiatric board determines his fate. Uh, They were deadlocked two to one on whether to order an evaluation to release him to a secure residential treatment facility. How many times did he stab his roommate? Uh, just 42. All right. 42. 42. He confessed to killing his roommate, Chris Bowen, in 1998 by stabbing him 42 times. Oh, so this didn't happen, like I say, as though that makes it better, no. like yesterday or no. something. This was some time ago. He also tried to kill another man when he jumped from behind the bushes at a Lake Oswego church parking lot and stabbed him. <sighs> That's a place where you don't anticipate being stabbed, is in Lake Oswego in a church parking lot. Or in the back of a Volkswagen. Or in the back of a Volkswagen. That, too. Uh, 30 Portlanders will go on a special diet for the next 30 days. Yesterday, the participants, including Mayor Adams, dropped off their keys at City Hall. Wait, hold on a second. Which he should have a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) If you could just leave everything in the uh, envelope at the front desk, that'd be great. Wait, they're going on a special diet for 30 days? Yes. Okay, let me guess. Are they going on a diet to simulate what it is like to be homeless in Portland? No. Are well, they, it might be part of it. Well, that's what they always do. It's a whole thing of like, I will live as they live. I will see what they see. I will sleep where they sleep. And then I will know their plight. No. Special diet for 30 days. Are they going on a diet uh, to simulate what it is like to live in Darfur? 
Well, Am I anywhere I near the truth? This would be here. one of the results of living in Dara right. 4. I, I got nothing. They go without automobiles. They'll have to use public transportation, uh-huh. ride a bike, or a walk. Uh, people who support the diet believe it'll help your body, your wallet, and the environment all at the same time. Unless you're trying to get into work at 3 o'clock in the morning. In which case, it will help none of those things. It'll help, it'll help you to an early death, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Here's the thing about... I don't... I, my what, question, what, what, what are the chances <laughs> of riding public transportation at, say, 2.30 in the morning, getting up downtown, walking about four miles in the dark to get here and arriving safely? All without being savaged by some brute. Uh, is it even possible? Let me ask you this, Tim. If you had to use public transportation to get here from Tanner's Do the buses even run this That was going to be because yeah. Is it even possible? I hear the Max running really early. The Max doesn't run 24 hours, though. Close does to it. it. I mean, at least it used to. I actually wonder because they'll say that about like public Maybe they're transportation. Maybe they passengers, but somebody's riding trains around all the time. It's just like the, it's just like that train in in uh, War of the Worlds. Just a just a max line that's on fire, roaring through some, some station without stopping. Hold on, it's coming up. Well, we'll get the next one. Uh, so it, I wonder if if that's a thing that you could even do. I, I mean, think I so. uh, well, I, don't know. Let I mean, let me uh, let's see, Max Light Rail. Let me look here. Uh, blue line, uh, because if westbound you, to the city center. If you have to work, uh, you know, in Portland and okay. you live in the outskirts somewhere, three forty in the morning, at least. Yeah, see, so but you, so we would almost. So if you had to get to work in Portland at three a.m. and you lived out there and didn't have a car, mm-hmm. you would have. There is no alternate. There is no alternate way to get it's here. Riding a bike. There are alternate <laughs> or unless you want to do. Remember uh, what's his name? Uh, riding a uh, bike on the freeway. Remember Sean Couples is a guy who used to be an engineer oh, he used here. To roller skate to work from Vancouver. Yeah. I mean, he worked at the Coin Building downtown, and he would roller skate every day over sounds, the Interstate Bridge. Sounds like we're making this up. He I, would I roller skate somebody. from Vancouver, and Greg is shaking his head in sort of misunderstanding. But I, I swear to God, that's what he would do. And last weekend's, I, I guess it was a run from Seattle all the way down here. Uh, was it a run or was it a, a bicycle? A bicycle. A bicycle. Uh, thing, yeah. Well, anyway, coming up the St. John's Bridge, I saw a skateboarder. Now, did he skateboard all the way from Seattle? That seems implausible. Not people. Do. Where did he join it? The, where, where did he join the race? I know that there was that, but there was that bicycle race that came. He had home. the number on his back, like the bike bikers didn't. I guess they let skateboarders in. Is that no, the I, one? I know somebody who skateboarded from Seattle to here. Does it end here, or does it go to California? Somebody told me that it, there was because I think there's one that's actually over the course of like ten days, and it goes from it goes from Washington through Portland all the way to Northern California, oh, and then like hell. <laughs> it really does back. I think to Portland. How about through Death Valley <laughs> on a skateboard? <laughs> We're just going to go through the Mojave Desert, all the way to Vegas on a skateboard. Yeah, I. The, here's the thing about about uh, skateboarding. Well, the, clearly not me. I. Uh, I mean, I. Uh, Somebody would consider that a challenge, I guess. I think it is a challenge, and it. The, but it's. The, I. I actually threw in the towel after a while. You know, the bicycling to work, which is only uh, like four and a half miles from my home. The thing about it is. That bicycle trip from Seattle to Portland, and I don't think it's back. Is it, is it from Seattle to Portland, or are they back, or are they, do they drive to Portland, bicycle here? How does that work? I, I guess they start there. I mean, they wouldn't have time. I don't think they have to ride back. <laughs> I mean, how do you get? I mean, how do you get back to Seattle? Are they Is flying back shuttles? to Seattle? I guess so. They must take the train or something back. Maybe this doesn't make any sense now that I think oh, you can't all put the, but they can't all put their bicycles on the like, train. You, like, what about with Hood to Coast? Like. Okay, this makes no sense now that I'm sort of... Wait, hold on. I should, I should look at the screen. Maybe this is somebody calling. People are always riding bikes ridiculous distances. Uh, so, 
it, people who are doing that bike ride from Seattle to Portland, are they from Seattle or are they from Portland? Not necessarily. It, it's just the route of the bike race. Okay, but how are all the bicycles getting back to, to Seattle, which is where they started? Maybe they don't have to go back. That was just the beginning point of the race. So they all, do they it's all... It's f- like, for the Indianapolis 500, not everybody lives in Indianapolis. Well, then I guess it's not an environmental thing, so they may have they may have flown there. I mean, I guess I was or thinking it was some... they could just strap their bikes onto the back of their cars and driven up there. I yeah. suppose. Yeah, but, okay, but... Okay, but if they drive... No, 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 but that doesn't make any sense either. No, because maybe they have a friend with them, and the friend drives the car back, and they ride the bike. Okay. Well, okay so How about one did... of those giant... Uh, Chevy pickup trucks. We're spending way too much yeah, time. Spending way too much time. <laughs> this is a total disproportionate ex- expenditure of energy here. Um, what was the point I was going to make? Oh, but so they will do that thing. The was it the hood to coast thing? Uh, you pointed that out. Where that's I mean that's a long ass bike ride. Good lord. Yeah. And in a way though, that is almost more appealing to me than the idea of biking to work every day. You know, just like the four and a half miles because that's just so absurdly long that it almost. It almost seems like a thing that has some appeal. Because then you're like some sort of weird, wheeled version of that Stephen King book, uh, the, the Long Walk. Today it would be too hot. Riding home on a bike I'm not gonna do at it 5 today. o'clock in 90 degree heat? I don't know. I'll do it when Who'd it's, do that? I'll do it when it's balmy, Tim. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. How can I help you? Uh, yeah, I called in to give you guys a little bit of help about your whole TriMet uh, discussion you were having a little while ago with public transportation and everything. It becomes uh, it becomes evident pretty early on that no one can really help us to any significant degree. But go ahead, sir. How? What information do you have? Uh, just like getting somewhere at three o'clock in the morning and yes. not taking the max is literally impossible. I mean, I, yeah, you. I mean, you basically have to just walk the entire way. I mean, if you were out where you know where Tim lives, yeah. Or show up four hours early. I actually, I'm a grave worker, and I know someone who does that. They start at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they're on the bus with me four hours ahead of time just so that they can get to work on time. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Anytime you're taking, it's like taking the 405 anywhere. Uh, You know, if you live in California and you're trying to get to work somewhere, i got to be to work at 8. I guess I'll get on the freeway at 3, where you the window is just so big. Uh, for you know, for for delays and you know, and there's so few opportunities to get anywhere, especially so the so that's the thing you would have to leave like two and a half hours, Tim, before you had to get here. So thank God that you've oh, got a it car. It reminds me of the way I used to live in L.A. No, thank you. I'm not yeah. that far of a transport, and it's an hour and a half for me each way. Wait a minute. So where where do you where are you coming from? Where do you go? I come from Beaverton, uh-huh. Portland, uh, the Swan Island area, right? Of Portland. And so, oh, what time do you have to be to, to be to work? Uh, they just changed the schedule, so it's at 11 p.m. And so you're saying it's like an hour and a half? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Thank you. No, I'll uh, I'll opt out of that. You know what? And here's the thing. And I, you know, people say whatever they want. I will gladly trade away, uh, you know, a small slice of our planet's future for the ability to get to work in something less than like two hours. That's uh, I just don't care about whales or whatever that that much. I just don't. All right. Thank what you, sir. Very sad is that I've had a ride before. It's a 10 minute ride. <laughs> That, see, that's the oh. worst. That's the worst thing about it is you don't realize how much that sucks until you have like somebody with it, you know, the, uh, you know, somebody who has a car or whatever. Like, no, 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 I'll give you a ride today, and it's like it's like nine minutes to get to work, and then the next day you have to wake up at the just the crack of of, uh, of dawn again because it's you know you got to get back on the bus and sit there for fourteen hours while you're waiting for the, uh, the, the bus stops at every here. block for some reason. Of course, and people are so lazy. All right, thank you, sir. You have a good day. You too. All right, there you go. Are we uh, doing a thing here? All right. Is this the Bridget of the upstairs Bridgets? Okay.
Uh, we have somebody. Okay, this is uh, a woman has a uh, a woman has something about the, the Seattle to Portland bike ride. So we'll weigh in on that when we come back. We're live from downtown Portland. Stay right there. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Share your thoughts with billions. I would um, honestly move from the area um, of the feces. Call 503-228-4101. Mommy, what color is a casket? This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into whimsy. Thank you for joining us. You know what I love most about this show is the respect and admiration given unto us by the audience. Like this text message that just says, good Lord, you guys are effing stupid. By the way, Hood to Coast is a foot relay race, not a bike ride. Well, <laughs> we so what am I thinking? Ride. This I think, the, to be fair, the implication uh, is that it was two-wheeled transport. But I... What, <laughs> Two-legged. Wait, so what am I thinking of? So, so uh, Hood the Coast is... You're thinking of the Seattle to Portland... I don't know what it's called. So there's, there's the bike ride from Seattle to Portland. There's Hood to Coast, which is a foot race from Mount Hood to where? I don't know. I have no idea. Let's see. Uh, hello, where hi. Where be to go? You're on the... Uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson uh, Show. Who might this be? Bridget. Hello, Bridget. How are you today? Um, Peachy Keen, Jelly Bean. Okay. Uh, so please now to uh, illuminate us on this on, on the Seattle to Portland thing. So your your cousin uh, did the Seattle to Portland bike ride. Correct. So how does that work? Do they uh, these do they do they drive to Seattle and then bike back here, and do they do they have to get somebody that then brings the car down? Yes. Yeah, so my cousin's actually from Bellingham, Washington, which is a couple miles from like the Canada border. Right. So he drove to Seattle with his family, with his wife and his daughter. And uh, son, and then uh, from Seattle, he rides, and then they just kind of—I don't know if they follow him or if they just kind of, you know, go from stop to stop or a hotel and and stay until he can get a little further down. But so that was actually going to be my thing—is if they, you know, if they just you know, give it a couple days and then they come back here, or if everybody sort of follows along on the off chance that, like, you know, his, his bike, you know, that falls apart or something, or you know, he gets a. You know, he gets he gets run over by a team of oxen, and they have to bring his uh, they have to bring his body back to Portland. Yeah, uh, it's all very confusing. How many days did it take him to bike from uh, from Seattle to Portland? That I don't know, actually. All right, well, thank you, thank you for weighing in, Bridget. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, there you go. That is uh, Bridget, ladies and gentlemen. Well, she was eager to help. Uh, in a moment, we'll talk to Ed, who wants to quote dispute the trimetic out of the last caller. Let's uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I am. Uh, I am fantabulous. How's life in the big city? Oh, I'm doing great now. Hold on one second. Is that a dirty? Is that a dirty pot it's on the board over there? I thought I cleaned it. Uh, there's a there's a channel on the it's board over comment. here. There's a uh, one of the uh, one of the volume knobs on the control board here seems to have a little dirt or some sort of uh, impurity inside where it makes contact. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a, if you are hearing a crackling sound coming over the radio, that is not your imagination. That is from the control board here. Um, so tell me about uh, about Paul McCartney uh, because he's he has. He is either going to, or he already did this sort of impromptu concert. But I sort of, but but I kind of missed whatever it was. Is this a thing he did, or he's going to be doing? He did it already. This is uh, first of all, Paul McCartney's kicking off another concert tour. The guy is sixty-seven, and he's still rocking out like he's a teenager with the Beatles. He's going to be playing at City Field, which is the Mets' new stadium, and it's sort of symbolic because 
at the Mets Old Stadium, Shea Stadium, that's where they held their first massive live concert in, in the United States. All right, so that's what I'm thinking of. So he's going to be sort of not recreating that, but I mean, it's, it's sort of an echo of that previous concert. Right, but the big thing was yesterday in New York, this happens from time to time. Uh, you know, like some famous artist will do an impromptu concert that's unannounced until like an hour before. Well, McCartney was a, a scheduled guest on Letterman last night. And the police department at the last minute granted the permits to the Letterman show to allow them to have amplified sound on top of the marquee above Broadway. Right. So Paul McCartney and his band played an impromptu concert uh, at uh, 5.30 until 6 p.m. yesterday. And people didn't find out until like, you know, a half an hour before it started. So I went running down there from the bureau. And what was so weird was like people were walking by a few blocks away and you could hear the music in the distance. And now if I hear, you know, some live music and it sounds like Beatles songs, I'm running in that direction. Sure, yeah. No, the tourists just seem to keep going about their business until you got within a block or two of the Letterman's, uh, Letterman's Theater, otherwise known as the Ed Sullivan Theater, where it all started for the Beatles, right? So 45 years ago, these young guys come on stage with Ed Sullivan, and, and they're introduced to the U.S., and then last uh, yesterday evening, there was Paul McCartney with his band at that same theater on top of the marquee performing for a few hundred people on Broadway. And, uh, you know, the last time the Beatles ever played live together was uh, on the roof of uh, the Apple uh, right. Studios in, in uh, England, and one of the songs that everybody knows that they played then was, was Get Back, and that famous live recording made it to the album. So, of course, he started off the set with that, and uh, I'll, we'll take it uh, from a little bit into the song here. That is pretty cool, and I was I was sort of being snarky earlier about McCartney being the one who seems to have no. You know, McCartney seems to want to be the one who has very little reservation about going back and sort of shamelessly exploiting some of the the Beatle memories or just you know those great moments from the Beatles past that he will bring forward and recreate. Like I pointed out that a few years ago, I think for his, I think it was the album. I think it was the album Run Devil Run or something, but he did this. He did this the concert at, at what was called the Cavern Club, which really wasn't because they've already you know they'd already torn it down and, and rebuilt it you know somewhere else, kind of like the London Bridge or whatever. But I guess of all the people on earth who were allowed to exploit the memory of the Beatles, there's really just him and Ringo. I mean, you know, I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it ought to be him. So you, did, I guess, hearing that, I have to I have to retract that a little bit. It's, it's I guess it's sort of hard to be cynical when you consider the fact that Paul McCartney gave a whole bunch of people in New York who didn't expect it when they woke up that morning the chance to see him. You know, to see what you know, one of the two remaining Beatles, you know, kind of serenading the city. So that is pretty cool. It's, I guess, I guess there's there's not much I can say about that having heard it. You know, it was pretty cool. He closed out the set with Helter Skelter. I mean, seeing really, a, seeing a 67 year old guy belt out Helter Skelter was pretty cool. You know, yeah, I, I it was really, uh, really amazing. I mean, uh, he did seven songs, and only two of them actually were on the air for the TV show for the taping. So. You know, if you're out there in the streets, and I ran down there, you, you caught an extra five uh, songs. I should say this real quickly. Uh, when I went to, there's a thing here in Seattle, here in Seattle, but there's a thing in Seattle called the Experience Music Project, which is, it's Paul Allen of Microsoft fame. He opened the, the, what he wanted to be sort of a, uh, 
not a rival, but a different take on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. And it's a lot of memorabilia and a lot of whatever. And it, how good it is depends on when you go and what the what the sort of rotating exhibits are. But when I went to the Experience Music Project last, it was uh, there was a Beatles exhibit and just all of this great, great Beatles stuff and just all of these like and, and not just not just like the same old memorabilia crap you see everywhere. It was really some amazing some amazing pieces that you would never ever expect it to witness in your life. And one of them was from the Beatles' appearance on Ed Sullivan, their first appearance. I guess it was a tradition on Ed Sullivan that backstage there was this wall, uh-huh. as, and you would wait behind the wall for, McCar- uh, for for Ed Sullivan to call you out, and he'd say, ladies and gentlemen, whoever, you know, Shecky Green, and then Shecky Green would come out. But it was a tradition that as you were standing just off stage waiting for Ed Sullivan to call you out, you would take like a, a, a pen and you would sign this piece of drywall that was back there, and somebody had cut out, excerpted, and had on display the piece of drywall that the Beatles stood behind just before Ed Sullivan brought them out, and it had all the Beatles' signatures on it, and it was the graffiti that they wrote in the five minutes before they were introduced to America on television, which is pretty, pretty that, amazing. That is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, and I was thinking, I've been, I've been, you know, getting all back into, I was, I've been getting reminiscent about the Beatles, and and uh, uh, because of, because of this upcoming Paul McCartney concert tomorrow. And I've been watching a lot of the old clips on YouTube and whatnot, and I and I sort of felt a little sorry for Paul because he's had this incredible success, this unbelievable journey that they had no idea they were going to go on when they first met, you know, uh, the, the Beatles. Right. And and then he's had all this tragedy in his life too. You know, he's had his best friend George Harrison die from from brain cancer. He's had you know another great friend and uh, and uh, trusted person in his life. You know, John Lennon murdered, and then Linda McCartney dies. So it's really, I don't know, I, I, the guy's had um, a mixed blessing and uh, life filled. A bit of a star-crossed life. Yeah, uh, it is. Thank you, star-crossed. I couldn't think of it. Thanks. Well, I, you know, it's, uh, you got to say, though, I mean, th- th- there are a few people who can say that they just, that they that they lived 100%, as uh, Hunter Thompson would say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Paul McCartney is certainly one of those guys. Excellent. Well, I, I really, and as corny as this sounds, I want to thank you for playing that McCartney sound, because it's, you know, I think even for even for people who are really, absolute diehard music fans. I think it's pretty easy to fall into just being, you know, just being sort of dismissive or being kind of snarky about that stuff. And, you know, and I, and I, and I kind of find myself doing that with McCartney, I think, a, a lot because he does seem so shamelessly, crassly commercial sometimes. Yeah. But, well, I, I can check one thing off my bucket list now, and that was a see a Beatle play live. So I can check that off. Excellent. All right, my friend. Have a fantastic day. Take care. There you go. That's Steve Kastenbaum in New York City. All right. Uh, still to come today, we're going to be talking to, speaking of music, we're going to talk to Oregonian music critic uh, Ryan White, who is uh, commencing his search for the definitive American band. Uh, we'll talk to Dax Holt from TMZ and from Los Angeles. Jim Roop will uh, talk about the Emmy nominations, and Tim Riley returns with the news. Straight ahead, we're live from downtown Portland, Oregon. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101. This is the of The Rick Emerson Show, or you'll be filled with desperate, miserable shame. I was toilet trained at 12. Listen online, live, or via podcast at KUFO.com. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into amusement and hatred. Uh, coming up at... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just looking over and... 
Sarah's doing this whistle while you work thing. So if you if you were to look at the control board here in the studio, it's got a series of uh, of what we we always call them pots. That is short for potentiometer, which essentially means volume knob. But it's like that thing you'll see in every movie where the where the guy is adjusting something. Like a guy in a television control room is moving a knob that goes. It doesn't it doesn't turn like a dial. It goes up and down. Right. Uh, like slidey knobs. Slidey knobs. Yes, they, they go up and down, sort of like a like an elevator. Um, and occasionally you will hear a little bit of static or noise or a little bit of when we're playing a sound, and that just means that there is some dirt uh, between the knob and the sort of uh, and the metal panel. Uh, there's some, so there's a dirty connection that's happening there. And the only way that you can really fix it, I mean, the radio is 103 years old as an entertainment medium, and in 2009, the way to fix that is still exactly the same, which is where you just take the knob and you go, bop, 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 and you turn it back and forth really, really quickly, like a hundred times, because then that just sort of scrapes the dirt away. So I look over and Sarah's doing this universally understood radio gesture. But because of the angle, it sort of looks like you're, it kind of looks like you're doing a wax on, wax off uh, sort of Miyagi thing over there. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Ryan White in the next hour. He is the uh, music editor for the Oregonian. Dax Holt from TMZ coming up at 8 o'clock and at 8.20. Jim Roop uh, with news of the Emmy nominations at the news desk. Ladies and gentlemen, your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. It is 644, and it's going to be very, very hot today. High temperatures at 90 degrees. Mayor Adams is a serial liar who needs to be recalled. The words of former Mayor Tom Potter, and I'm sure many others. He's accused Mayor Adams of serial lying and called for his recall in a letter sent to the Portland Gay and Lesbian newspaper just out. Uh, some of the quotes here. Uh, what this issue is for me is the mayor's attempt to deny and cover up his actions with Bo before and after Bo turned 18, writes Potter. He lied to us, lied to us, in order to win an election. That's lied to us, as in... Serial liar. During his time as city commissioner and mayor, Sam Adams has demonstrated his serious lack of judgment, his complete lack of integrity, (laughs) serial lying to win an election, his callous disregard for others. The words of Tom Potter. The words of Tom Potter. (laughs) Being relayed here by the CBS Radio News Desk. So, okay, that's that. Meanwhile... Other things going on in this. Oh, there is a another Potter to talk about, and that being uh, Harry Potter. Oh God, that opened on what is it? Last no, no Tuesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, right? Yes, it, it opened the Wednesday at Wednesday morning at midnight. And the fanboys and girls are already out. I love Harry Potter. I've always read Harry Potter, and um, I've come to every premiere since it started. Does she think Sam Adams is a serial liar? Well, we should do a full, uh, we should do a geek watch on that later because I think uh, somebody sent me what purported to be the box office figures just from the first 24 hours. How many millions of dollars do you believe that Harry Potter made in the first 24 hours of being oh my open? Goodness, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the figures. Well, no, so it wasn't that big, but it was 20 million. It was making a million dollars an hour, basically. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was making a little bit under a million dollars an hour for the first day. So they're saying uh, that I, I think they said something like it could be 75, 75 million uh, by the end of the uh, by the end of the weekend. So which is just and you know what? And it, it's far and away the best film in the series. It deserves we, it. it. It Yeah, it's exceptional. There's and, you know, the sequence in that Harry Potter film that I keep thinking about is that it's that uh, moment that Don Taylor was talking about when she was here on um, on Tuesday 
where, and I'm not giving anything away here, but there's a sequence that uh, it's a big, long... Tim, have you seen it? You, uh, no, not yet. Are you going to? Yes, I am. It really is a beautiful film. There's this one long tracking shot that you know intellectually is done with CGI, but it's still so beautiful that it, you, you don't care. I mean, it's the difference between good CGI and bad CGI, yeah. where it starts with, uh, with uh, Ron and Lavender... Uh, standing in in a hallway or sort of you know the, the stairway inside Hogwarts, and then the camera pulls out the window and it swirls around and then it shows Draco. Oh, that's so cool! Like standing in the window and sort of brooding and sort of looking unhappy. Well, there are a lot of those scenes too, and then with the black smoke, right? Like following that around and through the streets. I love it when um, movies do that. What are those things called in Harry Potter? The the uh, I always want to call them ring wraiths, but that's not that's uh, Death Eaters. That's from Lord of the Rings, not the, the Death Eaters, but the, but specifically those the ones with the masks and the black. Yeah, aren't they described differently in the book? Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But it's but those sequences are really great too. With these again, just these long shots where the camera follows these sort of ring race like type Carter, creatures. There's something broken inside of her. Yeah, she is. Uh, you know, but uh, she, it's a, it's disturbing watching her. There's something broken that I think uh, that she needs uh, Big Daddy Rick uh, to fix because there's uh, the, I, I, she is so unbelievably hot uh, when she plays when she plays just the horrible, awful, evil people. And it's the thing about uh, about. Helena Bonham Carter, when she plays uh, Bellatrix in Harry Potter, is it is sort of she does have a little bit of that Marla Singer vibe uh, going on there, which is she does. the the crazy half evil girl. But it's uh, but then she, it's sort of crossed with Morticia Adams in this way that I find quite alluring. So anyway, they will, and it was like five minutes ago I said that we were going to talk about it later. Later was clearly just now, so we'll now we'll return to later. Tim Riley at the news desk. Well, I wonder if our uh... Promotions leader Susan Reynolds has something to say about this. The tallest building in Chicago and possibly the U.S. at 1,450 feet, 108 stories, formerly known as the Sears Tower, is getting a new name today. Freedom. No. Liberty. Family. It's going to be called the... Marriage. Willis Tower. (laughs) What you talking about? What you talking about? What? It's being called the Willis Tower. Right, but... But for in aid of why? With who? I think he just told you. But I mean, that's not because of the different strokes take place in in Chicago. No, it took place in New York City, did it not? Wait a minute. I'm not sure. Everyone, stop! My brain is on. My brain is overloading. Everyone, you mean the voices in your head? We're not saying anything. Hold on. Is this sort of like a? Please don't do that. You have to stop. This is like that day you were playing pirate noises uh, all the time, where you just had that uh, the montage of R's. You had to take the pirate noises away. Let's let's stop for just one second. They were never given back. Okay, different strokes took place in New York City. It does not take place in Chicago. Chicago had the Sears Tower, now to be called the Willis Tower. The Willis Tower. Not because of different strokes, which I believe for half a second there because I'm not that bright and I'm tremendously gullible. Why is it being uh, renamed? Well, Willis, a London-based insurance brokerage, bought the naming rights along with the lease for three stories. The official changeover to Willis Tower happens today in a private ceremony. The new headquarters is being dubbed... Big Willie. What you talking about, Willis? Thanks so much. All right. Well, it's funny how people get attached to things like that because if you know you have the Staples Center, which I know people resisted for quite some time, and then there is Key Arena in Seattle, which I think was just Seattle Center for years and years and years. So, you know, before the, the Seattle finally figured out that they could make some money yeah, by Pitco Stadium auctioning off the stadium or the name rights. Yeah, That's but it's pretty crazy. Okay, but you know, the, but here's the weird thing about that. See, this is one of those this is one of those fallacies where people believe that everything was better when they were when they were growing up. That somehow there was a time when we were all pure and virtuous, and advertising didn't cover sort of every strip of our society. And that's clearly not true. 
because the Sears Tower obviously was named for the Sears Roebuck Company, was it not? Wrigley Stadium. I was just going to say Wrigley Field at 1060 West Addison in Chicago. Uh, they, uh, I mean, the, really, Chicago was way out ahead of everybody else in terms of having stuff named after companies. But the, the, as, but as Belloc says to Indy in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you bury this watch in the desert for a thousand years and men will kill each other for it. Well, if something is old enough, it just it becomes uh, is something that people view through the uh, for through a lens smeared with the grease of nostalgia. So it is with Wrigley Field and Sears Tower, which are named after corporations, but people don't have any problem with that because it happened, you know, seventy years ago, and so therefore they think it's culture. So you know what are you gonna do? All right, nothing. Uh, no, that's right. Nothing can be done. Not one thing. Give up. That's what can be done. Serial <laughs> lies. All right, straight ahead, we have uh, more from Tim Riley. Ryan White from the Oregonian will be here to talk about American bands and the search for the definitive band. Stay there. On Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO Portland. from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for joining us. Let's all forget that I did that thing uh, where I thought for a moment they were renaming the Sears Tower because of one of the characters on uh, Different Strokes. Now that yeah. he put that in your head. See? That, that was your brightest moment. So assured is your delivery, Tim, that it doesn't matter what you say. I just believe it wholeheartedly. I just swallow it as though it were the truth. It is uh, 503-228-4101, 503-228-4101, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, right now we're going to give you the opportunity to see the Timbers versus Burnley Football Club, and they are uh, an English Premier League. They're going to be playing Saturday, Saturday, July 25th at PGE Park. And one grand prize winner for this giveaway will also get to sit on the bench with the players and hang out with Sarah Dillon on the field before the game, which I'm to understand is awesome. It is awesome. If you are caller 10 right now at 503-228-4101, 503-228-4101, you will win a pair of tickets to the Timbers versus Burnley, which happens Saturday, July 25th, and you'll be entered in the grand prize drawing to sit on the bench uh, with the players and hang out with Sarah before the game. That is uh, caller 10, 503 228 Four one oh one coming up uh, later this hour. We'll talk to uh, Ryan White, who's the music editor for the Oregonian. At eight o'clock, Dax Holt from TMZ uh, will give us the latest on uh, all things Jacksonian and Jim Roop. We can talk to us about the Emmy nominations at eight twenty. This, however, at the news desk is your personal savior, Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. 704. It's going to be another summer sizzler. High temperatures near 90 degrees today. Our top story. Portland is a single woman's paradise. Wouldn't you find that to be the case, Sarah? Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm living the dream, I tell you. The August issue of Marie Claire ranks the top ten American cities. (laughs) If Marie Claire says it, it must be true. For a guy to meet, for a Jack to meet a Jill. Portland came in number ten. But northern neighbor Seattle topped the list. Uh, Portland's defining traits are autism. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> altruism. Altruism. Uh, rip-stop clothing. And whiteness. No. Is, is that a favorite color or complexion? It says whiteness. Well, I, I agree Rip with that one. clothing. You're just, you're just doing that thing where you're reading random words off the page. <laughs> Portland landed in the top ten according to a number of factors including date friendliness, Starbucks, movie theater density, mass transit, and overall physical fitness of men. Wait, this is where I'm... Here, wait, we, what does it have to do with autism? I don't know. I think it was, the rule was altruism. All right. Portland, I like guys who don't do a whole lot and then suddenly scream for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to this. Here's the major point here. Uh-huh. 
Portland has 30,000 more single men than women. Really? Well, that doesn't surprise me, actually. And we were beaten by Seattle, which has as many as 50,000 more available men than women. I'm so, packing my bags. I, so the, but, you can take Amtrak between the two. <laughs> but so the reason that it's a single Seattle woman's run out. Bit of everything. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a, like a single woman's buffet. The... <laughs> This story is full of awkward phrases and words. So the reason it's a single woman's paradise is because there are more, a lot more single guys in Portland than there are single women. That, I call BS on that. And also because of, well, I mean, I do as well only because they don't Also, release... Starbucks availability, movie theater density, mass transit, and overall physical fitness of men. See, Wait, so it's my paradise because there are a lot of movie theaters and Starbucks? And see, none That's of those right, things yeah. except That's for funny. physical fitness have anything to do... With being a single woman, I would imagine. Well, I mean, I have some tips for women on how to snag a guy. In. Are oh, these also from do. Marie Claire? Yeah. Yes, they are. What, is, what does Red Book have to say? What does Family Circle think <laughs> on the issue? Uh, ladies, you must enjoy dark beer, second-run movie theaters, bicycle rides, and have a vegan-friendly diet and lifestyle. All right. Well, you're you're batting five hundred over there. I mean, you've got half those things covered. I'm not the vegan thing, though. All right. Well, they don't specify an age range, though, which is what makes the story a little I'm bit suspicious ages, to me. Ages, ages, ages. No, it does not. Because I mean, you know, the single guys could be, you know, it doesn't really do you much good if he's in short pants still. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. So Sarah, you so quit quit your complaining. You. You have no right to uh, you have no right to carp. Apparently, there are men just uh, you know the, the falling out of uh, windows around. for you everywhere. So why not pick up uh, this issue of Marie Claire magazine and look for the article entitled "Where the Guys Are"? Yeah, do that. That's right next to the Don't endless ladies bunt cake recipes that they always seem to feature in that magazine. Marie Claire is one of those things that I only see. Like, you never see it in anybody's house. You never see anybody actually reading it. You only see it next to the D-cell batteries at Safeway or where you're, you know, where you're waiting to have your groceries rung up. Who is Marie Claire? I don't know the answer to I that either. I think of Marie Calendar, but that's a chicken pie lady. Yes, she is, Tim. <laughs> yes, she is. Here's uh, Tim Riley. So how would you like to uh, paint a mural in Portland? There no. are uh, several rules that much must be followed. They must be uh, painted or affixed to a wall. They must be no bigger than 30 feet high. Well, that's a lot of painting anyway. They have to stay put for at least five years. You have to apply for a $250 city permit. You must notify nearby residents of Iowa Homes of the proposed mural. But neighbors don't have veto power over content. Uh, see, the city does not allow murals on walls made of stone or this unpainted mean, brick. So if I don't have to get the neighbor's permission, does this mean that somebody could come create a fanciful mural in your neighborhood, Tim Riley? I don't think so. <laughs> He says with an arch tone of voice. It's not the murals that would bother me. It's these three-story blow-up play structures. Have you seen them? No. They're like water slides that are three feet high, and the parent attaches an air hose to it. It blows it up. It's like Disneyland in your front yard. What the is neighborhood this? eyesores that is what they are. Tacky. Is this a it thing really that people have tacky. in your neighborhood? Yes, in lots of other neighborhoods, too. And the Homeowners Association, because these are new, that people can go out and rent these things, nothing was covered in the original charter, so now it's being taken up in there many are, neighborhoods. Really? Is, there gonna be, is it going to be like Blazing Saddles, where there's like some town hall meeting? And uh, the, what does name the, the John Higgins guy is going to be at the front, sort of gaveling everything to order? And is there any new business? What about these inflatable slides? Yeah, they're huge. Well, the, I thought you guys just had the thing is, I thought if you were in a homeowners association, I thought you guys just had the the ability to just to get rid of anything you didn't like. I mean, I thought you could just sort of vote. well, it is a parliamentary, parliamentary procedure, but you can't get you can't get anything done like on the first try. 
Is it really uh, a parliamentary procedure? Do you have to like a like a first and a motion and a second and then a vote and then whatever? Well, I was complaining about some dead grass and it took two years for it to grow back. <laughs> I, de- I demand that it will be more lush greenery in my neighborhood as of now. Hey, uh, while we're talking, but I did get a brand new shrub when I asked the plant guy the other day. Let me he weigh him on his truck. All, weigh in on the mural thing here for just a second. If you are coming, uh, let's see, down uh, Powell. If you are headed, if you are headed west on Powell. Am I the only one who sees that mural that is like the weird, creepy Gandhi thing? You know what I'm talking about? It's Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and somebody else, but it's like they're growing out of a tulip or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it like on like 26th? It's on, no, no, no. It, 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 it's right before you get to Milwaukee. So it's like uh, maybe like 19th or something. You know, there's the Aladdin, which is on Milwaukee. And then there's that AM, PM. On the left. But, yeah. but there's like an Edelweiss sausage house or something as you're driving west on Powell. And there is this mural on your left that you will see, and it, it it's like a big pink flower, but then growing out of the flower's petals, and it sounds like I'm a crazy person, but growing <laughs> out of the petals of the flower are the heads of Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and somebody else, some other sort of known maker of, of peace and doer of things. But it's creepy because they... It, because they've got this weird sort of space alien look, and it looks like they're sort of, it looks like they are embryonically merging into one super creature uh, in manner of alien resurrection. There's somebody, uh, there'll be somebody who knows what I'm talking about, and there's somebody who's got a photograph of it probably, because it's distinctly unnerving. I, the thing freaks me out every time I look at it, and it's huge. I don't know why you've never seen it. Well, there's this sign that I drive by on the Hawthorne Bridge every day where uh, someone has, it used to be like a, a PBR sign or something, right? And someone has uh, roller like painted over it, and they'll write a different word there once every couple weeks. Oh, there was a big article about that. Yeah, so like it said, like listen for a while, and then it said breathe, and now it says tree. The, the there was a there I was look a, at it every day. I'm like tree. There was a big piece about that in the Oregonian. Uh, I think it was the guy where they profiled the guy who does that, and he's just some guy with a lot of money who said he he said he got tired of billboards that just caused you stress. And so I liked the breathe one. Honestly, it did help me calm down. His whole thing was like, I just wanted to give, I just wanted to give people a happy word. Oh, see, I, I didn't know that it was somebody who was known. I thought that it was just vandalism, no, it's, but like no, happy vandalism. It is a, it's a guy who bought that billboard uh, and uh, or rented it or whatever. The billboard is his though. It is his. So I was property. wondering how they did it. I'm like, there are people driving over the Hawthorne Bridge all the time. And there's a, and he says that they all have specific meanings to him, but that he wanted them to be sort of uh, soothing in general. And I think he changes it at night too. He said he likes for people to wake up in the morning and not know what the word is going to be. Yep. So if you have driven it's west tree for like a month though, he oh. needs to change it up. And I think he does it in response to sort of conditions, uh, you know, like in the world and around town. Which I think there was one when it was there was that hot street that was going on, and I think he had said something. Like and I said something like breeze or turn on know. a garden hose on the back of the one that says tree. Yes. Now it says shade on the other side. If you don't know what we're talking about, it, it sounds like we've all gone nuts because I'm talking about Gandhi's head growing out of a flower and Sarah's just saying the word tree over and over again. This is part of being local and relatable, my friends. All right, we'll take a, a break here. When we come back. We have uh, Ryan White, who is the music editor from the Oregonian, who will join us coming up later on. Dax Holt from TMZ, and at eight twenty, Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles talks about the Emmy nominations. Plus, more news from Tim Riley. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is the Rick Emerson Show on Thursday morning. You stay right there. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock One Hundred One KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Why am I an alcoholic? I haven't an epping clue. This is Rock 101 KUFO.
Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into amusements. Thank you for uh, joining us today. It's 503-228-4101. In just a moment, we will talk to Ryan White, who's the music editor from The Oregonian, and his search for the definitive American band will be the subject of our discussion. Dax Holt from TMZ coming up at uh, 8. At 8.20, we'll talk to Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles about the uh, Emmy Awards, which... Is it the, what's his name? It's Neil Patrick Harris, right? Is that the guy who's going to be the host? That's what I'd heard. Tim Riley is following these stories on your Thursday morning. America just can't stop watching Michael Jackson's hair burn in a 25-year-old Pepsi commercial. Former Mayor Tom Potter calls Sam Adams a serial liar. A Tualatin man is charged with stabbing his wife in the head with a steak knife. A battleground man is accused of driving off with his girlfriend clinging to the hood of his car. It's the best day ever. All right. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Oregonian, Ryan White. Hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Uh, all right. So <laughs> I was I was, I was, was given your name and recommended to talk to you, I say, mangling my syntax right out of the gate, uh, by a mutual friend of ours, Courtney Hameister from Livewire Radio. And she said, you've got to read this article that's on Oregon Live right now. So this is this guy, Ryan, uh, Ryan White, and he's sort of the newly installed music editor, and he's... He's written this piece about the search for the uh, great American band, and it's already devolving into just sort of verbal fisticuffs. And immediately at that point, I was like, okay, sold. So I, I clicked on it, and I was reading the article, and and it is, you and I were just talking about this during the break, it is sort of the, 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 great, the great kind of music question, because there is no definitive answer to it, but it's the thing that everybody immediately gets a response to, and they entrench themselves. And they become totally inflexible in terms of their response. So we'll we'll address the actual question here in a second. But you were a sports guy there for a long time. You were a sports writer for I mean, uh, 11 and a half years since I moved out here in 1997. So how does one go from being the sports writer to, I mean, in the, in the space of a couple of weeks, really, you know, just making the jump in the music writing? I dabbled in it off and on with some A&E stuff and, and some reviews and, and, and things for a while, a couple of features for, for the O section. But, I you know... I kind of outgrew sports. There was a point during the uh, NBA playoffs this year where I walked into the uh, the Blazers locker room, and the only question I wanted to ask Brandon Roy was, what's it like to get dressed with a half a dozen people forming a semicircle around you while you've got a towel on? That was the only, I, I, you know, I'd seen them play, I'd seen the game, and I just couldn't think of a single thing to ask them. And when you get to that point as a writer, you know, you you need to find new things to that, that make you curious and interesting, you know, and, and ask questions. And I've always, you know, I've always found music fascinating. I enjoy talking about it, listening to it, thinking about it, writing about it. So it, it, it's been an exciting five weeks. I thought, uh, you know, I'm still getting used to the, the just the amount of mail. And he, there are more there are probably more music publicists per capita in this country than any other profession, I think, and they all immediately got my phone number. Now, do you suppose that in, like, uh, nine years you're going to be doing a show somewhere where they're, they're going to be going, well, tell us when you burned out on music, Ryan. You'll be going, well, I don't know. I was trying to trying to ask something interesting of Chris Martin, and I just uh, and I just kept staring at his shoes for some reason, and that's why I'm writing about gardening. Gardening? I was thinking mathematics. Well, when did you become interested in mathematics? Um, it's if, possible, but if, I, I I hope not. If I were to look in your uh, your your car stereo, or your iPod, your whatever, right now, what are you listening to? It's the last thing. What did I have in the car this morning? Um, actually, I'm still I'm still listening to the new minus five record in the car, the uh, the Killingsworth record. I did a I did a story on Scott McCoy last week when uh, when they released those the the minus five and the Young Fresh Fellows CDs, and I just love that Killingsworth worth disc a lot. And then I've spent a lot of time in the last week trying to decipher Colin Malloy's uh, The Hazards of Love in advance of. Uh, 
this weekend shows at the at Edgefield. That's right. Now is it the that's so he's the Decemberist guy, and that's it's it's the Decemberist and Andrew Bird and somebody else, and right? Blind Pilot, yeah, yeah. That's that was that uh, newspaper ad I showed you where it has the weird kind of American Gothic thing, Sarah. Where oh yeah, just, I liked that. Ad. Which is just, I mean, just, I mean, the composition of that was just was. And it's at a, quite uh, the something. at the Edgefield. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're they're Saturday and Sunday. Cool. So how did you hit upon this question of the definitive American band? Uh, it was a dinner party where all great questions start. Uh, Scott Weddle, who is in the band Amelia, was over, and he is also in Storm Large's band during this crazy enough run at Portland Center Stage. And having seen the show, I think it was somewhere around the 75th show, where he and Jim Brunberg, who is also in the band, the co-owner of Mississippi Studios, started passing notes to each other during Storm's monologues, creating debates like this. So Scott shows up for dinner and says, so Jim and I were passing this note. We're trying to figure out the definitive American band, the band that you would put up against the Stones or Zeppelin or the Beatles. And another friend that was over immediately said, X. And we both looked at him and said, no, X is a great band, but you can't put them up against the Stones and the Beatles just in terms of, you know, the ubiquity in the culture and and that sort of thing. And it just began rolling all night, you know. For a long time, I was a huge Van Halen fan. So I was like, Van Halen? And then we started talking about influence, and I realized that, you know, as much as I might love Eddie Van Halen, he's kind of responsible for White Lion. <laughs> and we can't have that. There and is and a, this is how it went, all night. There is a pretty direct line, because from most of the things you love in this world to most of the things you hate. That's sort of what, I, especially in music, where it's, I mean, there's not even six degrees of separation. There's like a degree and a half, maybe. And every single thing in your record collection that you look at and cherish, you realize that, that it is directly responsible for about 80% of the things that make you turn off, uh, you know, the television or the radio. So, well, what, so you, so you came up with Van Halen, which you then sort of disqualified, uh, because of what they, what they wrought. Did you ever come up with anything to replace it? Oh, we, the one band that we keep coming back to is Metallica. And we can't, for some reason, we can't, can't completely get rid of Metallica. Now, I opened this up to, uh, readers on Oregon Live on the music blog. And I also threw up a link to that on, on Facebook. And all my friends came charging in on that. And the only thing that we've actually been able to completely agree on is that it's not the Eagles. Um, and, and in fact, one person raised the Eagles and got shouted down. So loudly, I started thinking about it, and I realized that the Big Lebowski did for the Eagles what the forty-year-old Virgin did for Coldplay, and that it made it perfectly acceptable for people who have, who have, you know, not wanted to necessarily say that they hate them to say, "No, I hate them." Here's the thing about July the Eagles. Sixteen. The the Eagles are one of those bands uh, that I. I have no problem with the Eagles' music, but I dislike the band personally for no reason that I can actually quantify or explain. I mean, I have no—you know, it's not like Glenn Fry ever showed up to my house and just, you know, and, you know, and sort of like, you know, and rifled through my drawers while I was away. I just dislike them for reasons that I can't really put my finger on. Well, I think the, there, there's a great Eagles question in that, and, and we were discussing this kind of as a, you know, we, we got distracted on this question. You know, the best solo song by an Eagles artist, and then my wife raised the question, has there ever been a band that was less of its total parts? Because as solo artists, they all have interesting things. I have a warm spot for Miami Vice. That's a lie. That's a lie. I have a warm spot for Miami Vice, so I will always love Smuggler's Blues. And that scene where where Glenn Fry's standing on the wing of the plane when Sonny and Crockett walk in Uh. to get flown to Columbia. So. See, here's why that's not true. <laughs> See, this is we were just as right as you were getting ready to come on today, we were talking about Nick Hornby, who wrote uh, High Fidelity and uh, several other books. But he created this in the book Long Way Down. He talks about having music rage. And he's talking, he's, I forget the example he used, but he's, you know, when he's talking about having music rage, it's when 
somebody you know says something that is so unbelievably wrong in terms of music or what they perceive to be good or bad that you want to beat them to death, except that that would just be far too fast and far too painless. Here's the thing about Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry is responsible for some of the the worst music that has ever, some of the worst noise of any kind at all that has ever existed. Here's the worst thing about Smuggler's Blues, by the way. It's that uh, about, I don't know, maybe two-thirds of the way through when he's ending one of the choruses, like maybe the second or third chorus, and he does that back-of-the-throat gurgly thing where he goes, Smuggler's Blues! Which is awful. Wow, you do that well. Yes. You know why? It's because I had to play that song like a hundred times a week. Hey, look at the text that someone sent. I kind of, I might agree with that band. What have we got? Um, I don't, I don't see anything. Oh, Aerosmith. text or Aerosmith really? was another band that yeah. we couldn't, we couldn't out of hand uh, dismiss. My texts uh, have, uh, I, my texts are not updating for some reason. I haven't seen that. Uh, Aerosmith. I see. I would have gone to Van Halen, maybe as uh, as the definitive American band. Maybe Aerosmith. Somebody has said uh, we've got this. It says the Ramones, hands down, no argument about that. You could make the case for the Ramones being the definitive American band because there's, you know, by their own account, you know, if you were to you talk about the Sex Pistols, who then, you know, the Sex Pistols begat you know an entire generation that that all started with with the Ramones. Part of the problem with this question is that you is is that it includes the you know it it brought in the Stones and Zeppelin and the Beatles into this, which is why you know in terms of of, of popularity and and reach you can't necessarily say the Ramones. We talked about the Ramones for a long time. We loved the Ramones. Everybody everybody was in agreement that we you know we we couldn't do that. What was interesting was somehow this dinner conversation shifted towards world religions and the idea, and, and then it got ugly. <laughs> And, and and at some point, I, I, I believe it was one of the sensible people there, which means it was one of the women, um, said, well, you know, Americans are just more interested in individual freedoms, at which point I raised my hand to try and get a word in edgewise and said, and that's why we don't have Stones or Zeppelins or Beatles, but we have Dylans and Springsteens and Chuck Berries and individual artists that launch all of these other great bands. I mean, the Rolling Stones don't exist without Robert Johnson through Chuck Berry. All right. By the way, just in case uh, you were wondering, I do have the definitive answer to this. Oh, I was I mean, sure you did. I mean, there's... Why uh, else would I be here? Okay. It is an answer, it is an answer that, is, uh, that is beyond debate. It is an answer which cannot be disputed or denied in any way. So uh, we will uh, discuss that when we return. We've also got... Uh, if you want to stick around for a few, we're also going to uh, do our top five. We're going to have the top five songs you are guaranteed to hear uh, in every strip club. So that's when we return. Ryan White, music editor from The Oregonian, is with us. We are talking about the quest for the definitive American band, plus news from Tim Riley. Stay there. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It's Thursday morning. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Pick up the phone and call. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Uh-huh. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for joining us. It's 503-228-4101. Here's what Sarah Dillon just said as we were coming back from the commercial break. Quote, don't you just hate it when people post a bunch of photos of you drunken in a bathing suit all over Facebook? Yes, I do, Sarah. Happens to me all the time. Doesn't it, though? <laughs> Please now to explain. I'm, I was looking at, at my, my Facebook, and um, my friend had tagged a picture, and it's like, oh, she has a new thing. And it was from the 4th of July weekend, so mm-hmm. of course, there was much beer drinking and you know sitting out in the, the sun. The imbibing of spirits and good times. Yes, indeed. And she tagged a bunch of them. Some of them are awful. 
awful, awful pictures. Like, why would you do that to me? Why would you put that all over the You internet? were just passing through the area. Yes. Is this, uh, but is this a friend of yours or is this... Um... No, it's, it's, yeah, my friend Lisa. Ah, I see. Uh, have you posted uh, uh, perhaps awkward photos of Lisa in the past? No, but now I shall. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're uh, here with uh, Ryan White, who's the music editor from The Oregonian. We're talking about the search for the definitive American band. And so, uh, of course, as you must have known, every time you discuss this, everybody comes out of the woodwork. We've got this. Uh, how about Aerosmith? This is... I have to agree with Metallica. This says uh, Ramones. Somebody said Ugly Kid Joe. Uh, we've got Cheap Trick, Alice Cooper. Somebody says Journey. This one says Devo. So everybody has their answer to who is the definitive American band. I think it was either uh, Greg Nibbler or yourself that during the break said Creedence Clearwater Revival. And I'd have a hard time disputing that. It's one of those things that I, I don't know that the answer for them is yes, but I don't. It's like when somebody uh, asked me if The Wire was the best television series in the history of everything. And I said, I don't know that it's the greatest TV series of all time, but I couldn't come up with a strong argument why it isn't. Uh, but, but, of course, if you are looking for the definitive American band, there really is only one answer. And, and that answer uh, is our friends in Kiss. Because they are the okay, actual... Right. Because they're the, they are the living embodiment of America. They are America distilled and put in an America-shaped container. They are the essence, both good and bad, of everything that personifies uh, this country. Uh, I mean, both musically, both in terms of of their image, in terms of the makeup of the band, the fact that one of them, I mean, Gene Simmons, is an immigrant who came to America speaking no English, learned, in fact, to speak English by watching uh, the Walt Disney program on television. Uh, And, you know, and, and really, I mean, they are the definitive, they are the definitive embodiment of of the American dream in some ways. They are in it. Kiss is almost like a musical Gatsby uh, where they just came from absolutely nothing and created themselves into the image of what they wanted to be and became unbelievably loud and gaudy and tacky and over the top and cheesy and embarrassing in some ways, but all the more glorious because of that. And they're also the only band you can probably see from space. So I, I'm just saying for myself, if you were to take America and if America were to be represented by a band, uh, for better or worse, I think it's Kiss. And I just thought that, that I'm, there's just no getting away from that, in my opinion. I can't argue against that. That's right. right I can't there. say that it's definite, definitively yes, but I certainly can't argue against that. So, um, what was sad is it took until we put it up, until we put the question up on Oregon Live for Kiss to come up, and I think that's you know, and I felt particularly bad about that growing up outside Detroit, where you know, Kiss could probably yeah. sell out stadiums the way you know Springsteen sells out stuff in Jersey for for weeks and months and, and years on end. Um, I, I really felt responsible for not coming up with Kiss earlier in the in the conversation. I think it was Greg that said the Steve Miller band or something while we were during a break, and then we had this whole discussion about how Steve Miller, who may be from here, but I thought he was from California, but he might actually be from the Northwest because it seems like he is here about every four or five weeks. I mean, just, I mean, just like clockwork. I mean, the nuclear winter could not stop Steve Miller from coming through town, and he never he never looks any older. He never sounds any different, and he comes through and he plays everything you want to hear, and then he'll play the two uh, you know obligatory new songs that sound just like the old songs, and then he goes home, and then he comes back again five weeks later. So he the is, kind of uh, artist you can set your watch to. That's right. He is the troubadour of the Northwest. All right. Uh, on the note, Ryan White, uh, music editor from the Oregonian. Thank you for joining us, my friend. We'll have to have you back at some point. Thanks for having me in. It was fun. Uh, is there anything coming up in the Oregonian that people should be reading from you? Uh, we got a big story today about the Decemberists and their uh, their crazy new hour long song cycle about witches and shape shifting fawns based on uh, old folk and prog metal. It's kind of like a combined Fairport convention Black Sabbath record with crazy lyrics. 
Wow, that's a phrase that's never been uttered before in the history of human speech. Well done, sir. You've got away with words, my friend. Wow, well, thank you. Maybe <laughs> I'll right. try writing them. Read him, <laughs> read him in print of the Oregonian online at OregonLive.com. Ryan White. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. It is 749. Going to be very hot today. Highs near 90. It looks like huge pieces of debris came off the space shuttle as it was launched today. Uh, It it appears to be uh, huge pieces of insulating foam. It came off the fuel tank. Which really doesn't sound good at the moment. Is it 2003 already? Isn't it the same time? Didn't we have this story about four years ago where there was... It's nothing to worry about. The public was in no danger at any time. Everything was resolved smoothly. This isn't the uh, this isn't the same bits of the fuel tank that were coming off uh, just a couple of years ago. These though. are bigger ones. Well, that's good. So uh, they'll look into it. Anyway, this is uh, the anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11, 40 years ago. They didn't go on the moon till the 20th, though. Did you see that interview with uh, with Buzz Aldrin uh, the other day? It was some interview with him in the in uh, the New York Times, I think, or the New York Times Magazine, where they were asking him. And you know he must just have to fight off the urge uh, to punch people in the face when they bring this up. And they said, so what does it feel like to be the the second guy who stepped on the moon? And there's just these long pauses in the interview. We can tell that he's just, you know, that Mr. Hand is becoming Mr. Fist because he's tired of talking about that. But the 40th anniversary of the moon launch must be why the BBC had that story that we were talking about. Was it earlier this week where it turns out that the Russians had sent something to the moon around the same time we did? Correct. It, it it was to land on the moon before we did, scoop up some rocks and dirt, and then bring it back, which would have been a, a, a public relations coup for communism. But it didn't happen because the uh, the craft came down too fast and crashed on the moon. And the the uh, British scientists had audio of this, which they had online the other day, which nobody in, in America has picked up for some reason. And we were playing this, and the weird thing about this is... Except for us. Well, A... That uh, it's because we're not part of the mainstream media, Tim. That it's is because correct. we're not part of the liberal tissue of lies I'm that not part clogs of the, the airwaves. Old boy club. That's right. Well, once I am admitted, I will adhere to their rules. <laughs> so the creepy thing about that is not unlike how Sarah and I are always unnerved by things that ought not be at the bottom of the ocean, like a car. Mm-hmm. I'm freaked out by the idea that there's just been Russian space equipment on the moon uh, for 40 it years. Surprise! Nobody ever told me about. Mm-hmm. And I find it deeply unnerving. All right. Straight ahead, we're going to talk to Dax Holt from TMZ. Later on, Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles will join us. You stay there. The Rick Emerson Show is live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday morning. Don't go anywhere. We are back right after this. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO Portland. Live from downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Coming up at 820, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will join us today. And we'll talk about uh, the Emmy Awards, which are, uh, I think they've uh, they've unveiled the nominees as of this morning. And I know this because I walked by uh, Bobby Fatboy Roberts, who's back there prepping for an interview they're going to be doing, and he was already screaming about Battlestar being overlooked. So, you know, end. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from uh, TMZ, uh, our good friend Dax Holt joining us uh, now on the program. Hello, sir. How are you today? Good morning. Battlestar, really? Battlestar and uh, and The Shield both overlooked. And here's why that uh, sucks. It sucks, A, because they were overlooked, and also because this is the last go-around where they could have uh, been nominated. So, uh-huh. so this is going to be like... Uh, you know, like that last season of The Wire where all of us were kind of crossing our fingers and thinking, okay, you know, finally it'll get something, at least a nomination maybe, but no. No, it no, never had no, no love. Shun to the very end, uh, my friend. <laughs> what, is, uh, what is going on in the world of, uh, of Hollywood and celebrity, sir? 
I just feel like I'm ankle deep in Michael Jackson news nonstop. <laughs> it hey, never sp- goes away. Speaking of ankles, what is up with those weird photographs of him showing his uh, legs all covered with weird like, injuries? Well, you see, I guess he was injecting in his legs, which kind of killed some of the cells, and it just made it look like a really gross, gross legs. But, uh, you know, we had found out earlier that he just injected himself anywhere he could, you know, in his knees, behind his knees, and his elbows, and his neck. I mean, this dude was a serious, serious drug addict, and I just can't believe no one knew about it outside of his camp. It does seem like maybe one of those things that that everybody knew about, but that it becomes what they call, you know, an open secret, where because he's uh, alive and powerful and famous, that nobody wants to get on his bad side. Uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's weird because like, a lot of these really famous people that are, are constantly on drugs, you find out about, you know, Amy Winehouse or, or yeah, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other people, maybe Courtney, uh, not Courtney Love, but... Uh, oh, no, Courtney Love. <laughs> Courtney Love, Whitney Houston, those people you know. And I feel like with Michael Jackson, I had no idea he was a huge drug addict. It, uh, it is one of those things that uh, you, you look back now and you see that video that just came out of, uh, of you know, the accident at the Pepsi commercial where he was, you know... He hair caught on fire and you realize how long this stuff probably is gestating whether it's a oh, yeah. you know whether it's a dependence upon plastic surgery or dependence upon drugs and it's just you know just starts from way back it's all it's all very unnerving um what else is uh, what else is going on at tmc today uh, do you want to know more Michael stuff, or you want to move on? There is always more Michael stuff, so I will let you determine uh, sort of what is, is pressing on that front, and then we'll touch uh, real briefly on Dave Chappelle. What else is happening in the Michael Jackson thing? Well, I think it's just interesting how they're now treating this Michael Jackson investigation as a homicide. They're not calling it one, but they're treating it as one, and they're really looking at this doctor, this Conrad Murray guy. This is the live-in doctor. Um, I guess when they talked to him a couple of days after Michael's death, he said some really incriminating stuff. Uh, cops don't necessarily want to tell us what he said, but they... I guess it's very incriminating against him, along with the evidence they found in the house, the IV, the propofol, the oxygen tank. So it's it's looking like this doctor was just giving him propofol whenever he wanted it, and it's probably the leading cause of his death. Jesus, especially when you consider that that drug is apparently so unbelievably lethal that you just you can't get it anywhere outside of hospitals. It's not like you can even get a prescription for it. You just don't. I mean, it's like it's like some elephant tranquilizer or something. It's like you know you basically cannot obtain it. Um, oh no, I, I talked to nurses. I talked to Doctor Drew. I like everyone I could call about this drug, and they were like, absolutely not. This is something where you've got a whole team around you when you're knocked out, making sure your vital signs are good. There's no way someone alone at a house could be giving this drug. I will say this, not to be morbid, but you do have to wonder if, given now all of this publicity, this Dipper Van thing has gotten because of the Jackson case, if you are, over the next maybe 60 to 90 days, going to see some spike in the number of people who somehow obtain it and use it and die from it, because, you know, there's, there's a whole group of people out there that are always looking for, you know, whatever the, you know, the next high is or whatever the next drug is or whatever the next unbelievable narcotic is that they feel like they have to experience. And, you know, it, 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 if somebody really wants a drug in this country, it's hard to keep them from, from getting it, as, as Jackson himself sort of uh, indicates. Um, we had uh, Dave Chappelle, who was in town uh, the night before last, and I know you guys have uh, some coverage of of that story. And it was, I mean, it was really not unprecedented, but uh, it was a it was a pretty amazing thing. No, I mean, Dave Chappelle kind of disappears, and he's he hasn't been doing any stand up for a long time. And uh, lucky for you guys, I guess he did a little impromptu stand up at, at one of the places out there. And you know, he had only told four people that he was going to be doing this, and four thousand people showed up for this performance. And he only came with like a little amp, <laughs> and, he, 
it's just crazy video of how many people showed up. I guess thanks to Twitter and and uh, you know MySpace and that kind of thing just blew the word out there, and it was just really cool to see him on stage again. So the question is, you know, he he walked off the third season of of Chappelle's show despite the fact that they had fifty five million dollars on the table for him. What is he? What is he doing these days when he's not making ad hoc appearances in Portland? I mean, what is is he working on something? Is he doing? small shows somewhere else. What is Dave Chappelle up to? That's the thing. We have no idea because he disappears. He, he's not someone that's so much of a public figure that he's out all the time pimping off the new thing, his new project, anything like that. And so for him to go on stage and just do an impromptu performance, it's, it's really cool and out of the blue. All right, so uh, we have lots of stuff to talk about, uh, you know, with, with Jackson still in the future, but uh, it is a, kind of a busy day for everybody here. So I will let you get back to it. My friend Dax Holt from TMZ, thank you so much, sir. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, dude. There you go. Dax Holt, ladies and gentlemen. You can see him at 1130 on TMZ Television, which airs on Fox 12. Tim Riley, what headlines are we following on this Thursday? Well, we just found out that Bruno was getting a makeover in Great Britain so young teens can see it. How is that possible? They're going to do, be doing some serious editing. Are they going to do editing? Are they going to do that thing like they do in the... Uh, the there's this sequence in, in Bruno where he goes to a swingers party uh, in the suburbs, which is just disconcerting in a whole lot of ways because it's just a bunch of grubby, greasy people. And it's just big black boxes over everything. So, I mean, they would essentially have to black box that whole film, I think, to make it family-friendly. What was Barbara Walters said yesterday? And it's full of penises! And really, what isn't? Uh, at this juncture, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Blink-182. They are coming to town, uh, Memorial Coliseum, September 9th. Tickets are uh, going on sale this Saturday, uh, the 18th at Comcast Ticks with two Ts, ComcastTicks.com or the Rose Quarter box office. And you're going to have a chance to buy them uh, uh, this Saturday, but you can win them right now. If you are caller 10 and if you can successfully answer this question, what Blink-182 video... What Blink-182 video featured an extended cameo from porn star Janine? Her full name is Janine Linda Mulder, but uh, professionally known as Janine. She starred in what Blink-182 video? You can be caller 10 and correctly answer that at 503-228-4101. You will score a pair of tickets to Blink-182 September 9th, Memorial Coliseum. Straight ahead, Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. More of the Rick Emerson Show in mere moments. Only on Rock 101 KUFO. Don't miss a moment of the Rick Emerson Show. Or you'll be filled with desperate, miserable shame. Listen online. Live or via podcast at KUFO.com. Live from downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-228-4101. You can also text if you like at 52051. I was uh, just reading Ryan White's article online. The Ryan Oregonian. White of the Oregonian. Cash cap for cutie or death cap for cutie. Cash cap for cutie. <laughs> That's awesome. It's Ben Gibbard in the front going, Would you like to go for the bonus question? And then there'd be like an orchestral swell. And then uh, and then everybody gives it five stars and calls it a classic for the ages. I'm sorry, what? Thank you. You should write that idea down. We can uh, we can sell that to uh, some guy at funnierdie.com. Okay. Hello, Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles. Morning. How are you? Where are you at? I'm coming back from the Emmy nomination. Okay, for for a second there, it sounded like you were not only on the phone, but actually speaking through a sock of some kind. <laughs> uh, so the Emmy nominations were uh, this morning, and I was saying that we uh, one of our uh, colleagues here, a guy named uh, Bobby, he's in early doing an interview with uh, with somebody, and 
I said, hey, what's up with you? And he goes, oh, I'm just looking at the Emmys. Damn the Battlestar. Damn the Shield. Damn no no nominations for anything. So, th- as I understand it, um, th- everything kind of went to, to 30 Rock and to Mad Men, Emmy uh, nomination-wise this time. Is that right? Yeah, 30 Rock, 22 nominations in all. I mean, you know, they've expanded the categories, I guess in a way, hoping to open it up for more possibilities. But I think what they do is like baseball expansion. All it did, all it does is dilute the pool. You know, it, it adds more teams and more players, but the players are less talented. Right. So it, it's add more shows, but not the right shows get in. You know, it's, I don't know. It's, it, it's kind of a weird thing that they're doing. Is this, and no, this is the same thing they do with the Oscars, right? Where they just sort of expand the pool to the point where, like, you know, Megan Fox or somebody's going to get, you know, the, the Best Actress nomination. Um, how many uh, nominations for Mad Men this time around? Do you know offhand? Uh, top of my head, no. I'm not, I, I don't have the paperwork. But there's enough. I mean, they're in the Best Drama Series category. They're in the Best Actor category for John Hamm. And uh, I forgot her name, but she's in the Best Actress category. You know, I mean, they're, they're dominating the category. I mean, they, and they're... Really, they're the ones to beat because in the drama side, anyway, they were last year's winner. 30 Rocks trying to three-peat, but I don't know that that's – I mean, it's not the same as it was back in the in the 80s with NBC and all those shows that they used to have constantly in the mix. But it, it sure smelled like that with HBO, 99 nominations again, uh, AMC picking up a lot. I'm, I'm glad to see Breaking Bad get in. Yeah. Breaking Bad is a great show. Brian Cranston deserves the Emmy. He won it last year. The show is a great show. First time it got in. But there are a lot of first-timers in here. So I guess in a way, uh, they are successful at what they're trying. And when is the actual uh, Emmy ceremony? When is the actual award ceremony going to air? Sunday, September 20th. September so not 20th. that far. With, uh, with Neil Patrick Harris. Excellent. All right. So, hey, by the way, let me ask you this. I'm just making a note to myself. So, set TiVo now. Are you, uh, are you a Mad Men enthusiast? Do you watch that show? I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but I've not had a chance to really watch it. I've got to tell you, at some point, uh, the next time you got, uh, I say with my tongue firmly in cheek, when you got lots of free time, Jim Roop, and nothing going on, and you're not busy uh, looking at the video of Michael Jackson's head on fire, um, you got to uh, you got to watch Mad Men just because, if nothing else, just to appreciate the uh, the effortless sense of uh, staggering cool that that show conveys. I mean, it really is. You want to talk about just a place you wish you could channel yourself directly into. I mean, that 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 is what that show is all about. So uh, I can't endorse it strongly enough. It's uh, it's not flawless, but it's pretty damn good, is what it is. So. Did they have at least the first season out on DVD yet? First season is out on DVD, and I think the second season is out now too. And that they're marathoning that as well because they're getting ready for the uh, for the. Third season. Here's what nerds from Mad Men we are. They just put out like a promotional image of it. I mean, it's not even anything from the show. It's not even a preview. It doesn't even show you anything. It's just a photo of John Hamm as Don Draper sitting in a chair. And it's this kind of surreal image where he's sitting in a chair in his office, but then the, the chair, the office is half full of water. He's sitting in about three feet of water. Uh, but oblivious to it is he's sort of sitting there with a cigarette and a martini. And it's just the coolest thing on earth. You look and you're just like, why can't I be like that? And the answer is because. I'm uh, the, the answer is because I'm, I'm not nearly stylish enough. So you got to watch it when you get a chance. Though it's uh, it's quite something. Um, I will. All right. On that note, I know it's a busy day for you. So we will uh, catch up with you at some point in the immediate future. Drive safely, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen. All right. You saw that. Were you the one who showed me that photo of of John Hamry's in the water? Oh yes. Tim, you've seen that, haven't you? I haven't seen that. I oh. put it. It's on my blog. 
Yeah, go to SarahXDillon.com. You can see the, uh, the the promo still from Mad Men Season 3. And Good it's, Lord. Nobody should be allowed to be that attractive. Well, it's basically a variation on that photo, Tim, that you had last year of him sitting with uh, Manhattan in the background, uh, where he's sitting oh, yeah, in, no, in, with the city behind him. You know uh-huh. what? I don't find John Hamm attractive. I find his character attractive. Don Draper. Well, that's Don like, Draper. Like, in, in life, John Hamm, I don't find him cute at all. That was my wife's thing, where she said that she had, you know, she didn't find James Gandolfini attractive at all. Uh, it was just that she found Tony Soprano attractive, uh, because he was a guy who could get things handled. And that was the, you know, that's the thing with John Hamm and Don Draper. I mean, that photograph of him that Tim had last year, where he's sitting with the city skyline behind him, is about the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And then this photo that they just put out for season three where he's sitting in the chair, and it's and it's such a great photograph uh, because it's just... And everything for that period is there. The, the uh, pack of unopened Lucky Strikes. Yeah. Because my dad would have had something like that back in those days. Really? Yeah. Did you... Uh, I, I mean, the question is, how closely does Mad Men hew to the reality of that time, at least in terms of that industry and that city? Um, you know, then like some guy in Kansas maybe looked like that, but I mean, the, you, you, I am so fascinated, like a lot of people, with that era, uh, and with that particular, and not you know not just that era, but also Madison Avenue, mm-hmm. which is where all the advertising took place. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up reading Mad Magazine, and uh, Mad Magazine was a huge, huge, huge part of my childhood and my comedic development and my whatever. But Mad Magazine was located on, uh, appropriately enough, on Madison Avenue. And Madison Avenue is where all the advertising agencies were based. And so a lot of Mad Magazine's humor was about the world of advertising. And so I grew up with a kind of skewed perspective, but a very strong sense of what that place was like anyway. You see it now, Mad Men, and you just so desperately want it to be the case that it was exactly that way. Mm-hmm. I think that in the future, what they ought to do is they ought to offer like some sort of weird time travel field trip where you can go back and you can live that, you know, you can go back and you can experience the Rat Pack era or something like that. Uh, just one final question about this. Uh, and then we've uh, uh, we've uh, got more of Tim Riley ahead uh, around the corner and there's lots of, and just things are plenty. Sarah was pointing out, there's just, we've gotten to so much, but there's so much we haven't gotten to. So I will say one final thing, which is that I sometimes, I, I when I when I look at that, you know, you sometimes wonder, well, what era am I looking at? Because it is all that vague sort of '60s, you know, it's the it's the sort of '60s, uh, um, the '60s uh, advertising era vibe. But the question is, is the new Mad Men season? Is it 1964? Is it 1962? I think it's gonna, well, chronologically, it would have been '63. But I mean, are they, but are they skipping ahead again? Because in between That's season one and two. Didn't they? Uh, two years had lapsed, right? Wasn't it? Two I years? think so because yeah. they started season two with that with uh, showing Jackie O giving the tour of the White House, mm-hmm. um, and that I think people calculated from there that it was like an eighteen month leap or something between season one and two. So I, I am curious to see sort of how how they advance uh, the chronology. All right. On that note, uh, straight ahead we have more news from Tim Riley coming up at nine. It is smells like the nineties with our good friend Buzz. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, friends and neighbors. This is the Rick Emerson Show. Don't forget, you can text us anytime at 52051, or you can email rick at rickemerson.com. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, the Rick Emerson Show is here on a Thursday morning. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Pick up the phone and call. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. That's right. 
live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Show. It's 503-228-4101-503-228-4101. At the news desk, ladies and gentlemen, please pay heed. He is your God now, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. 8.39. It's going to be another hot one. High temperatures in the 90s. Who says there isn't any good news out there? A stolen chihuahua is back with its heartbroken owners. Three weeks ago, Petey was stolen from her front yard. Her owner, Annie, put up some flyers, posted on Craigslist, called K2. A woman saw Petey with, with a couple living in their car. Apparently, this is a homeless couple who stole the dog. And they offered to sell the dog for $200 to some woman who alerted the woman who the dog was missing from who posed as an interested buyer. Let me understand this. A homeless couple steals the chihuahua. They keep the chihuahua in the car. They offer to sell the chihuahua for $200 so the rightful owner shows up undercover in the guise of a buyer. Correct. All right. So once PD saw the owner, she jumps out the window and Aww. runs. So the woman has followed the police report, submitted the license plate. Now, she has submitted all the information, has the license plate and the cell phone number of this human scum who stole PD, and the cops say... Uh, there's a very good chance they may follow up on it. Just may. Really? Uh, may. Has the woman made the cell phone number or license plate number publicly available? Uh, she asked the uh, police department, yes. But I but wonder if... Uh, public. I mean, I'm just saying, uh, you know, it seems like if she has the cell phone number and license number and presumably the make and model and description of the car mm-hmm. belonging to, as you put it, the human uh, refuse that stole the dog uh, and then tried to ransom it, it seems like if that information were made public via perhaps some social networking uh, site or uh, part of that uh, information superhighway about we about which we hear so much. I've heard about that. It seems like things might uh, work themselves out and uh, this situation might resolve itself to the satisfaction of almost everybody. Why, well, I say that's a splendid idea. Yes, it is. What's the woman's name whose dog was stolen and then uh, found? Uh, Annie Mullins. Annie Mullins, I think you need to... Uh, Think you'd need to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I think we all understand what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think we do. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Uh, Paul McCartney is no longer a stranger to Letterman. He was on the program last night. And he was at the Ed Sullivan Theater where the program was done, and that's where he made his TV debut on the Ed Sullivan Show, which 30 million people used to watch. Can you imagine that? I mean, most shows are glad for like 5 million, but 30 million used to watch that show. Well, especially when you consider the population of the country wasn't 300 million. That was like half of what it is today. Yeah, so you got, you know, maybe 150 million, 30 million people watching it. I mean, that's, you know, that's 20% of the entire country, which is just, which is staggering, especially when you consider that that's 20% of the country, but there were fewer televisions there, so it's probably half the people in the television audience. I mean, it's probably a 50 share. Mm-hmm. So they were showing some old uh, pictures on the Letterman show last night. A picture of McCartney with Michael Jackson brought a round of applause, and McCartney shared his stories about recording with the late pop star. He also addressed uh, Jackson's purchase of the Beatles' songbook, and Sir Paul admitted it caused a bit of a rift between the two gentlemen. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. I, I, I had turned this off. Are we going to get more warbling flute noise? Uh, no, because I didn't want warbling flute noises. But here's a, another warbling flute named Paul McCartney. I did talk to him about it, but he, he kind of blanked me on it. He kept saying, that's just business, Paul, you know. So I went, yeah, it is, mm-hmm. and waited for a reply. But we never kind of got to it, and I thought, mm, so we kind of drifted apart. It was no big bust up. You know, Paul is just... He, he sounds old. Well, he sounds old, and, and also... I mean, he's, you know, 67, though, so, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. But but also just, he is such a, um, 
he is such a, a savvy marketer in in the way that he markets himself and his image and the image of the Beatles because that you can I mean look you can just tell you can tell that it just rankles him uh, to no end that Jackson owned the, the Beatles songs. I mean, you, I mean, it just obviously just makes him furious. And by all accounts, it's a thing he just seethed over. But he always puts on such a uh, such a pleasant, charming, you know, the, uh, the face. He's always putting up such a you know facade of sort of you know being a very being very zen with everything, which I guess is fine because it's you know that because he realizes that is his role. Mm-hmm. He's smart enough to understand that that's how people perceive him, as opposed to John. Who was just, you know, such a dick that he could kind of get away with everything because everybody kind of knew that that was, you know, that that is the way he was or the way he was perceived anyway. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Things to come. Contact lenses for animals. And why not? Uh, A German company, because they're very crafty, have made contact lenses for animals. Uh, Some animals might be hard to to put these in, like a, a, a giraffe. For instance, yeah, because they all have different size eyes. <laughs> Why did you pick them out at the end of the day? Why did you pick giraffe? <laughs> well, you need a. I guess you need a cherry. Why picker, not sperm you? whale? I mean, I mean, which would also be admittedly very difficult. Did I, you go to giraffe because they're tall? Yes. All right. Fair enough. Well, wouldn't you? I guess. So they're going to be. Wouldn't that be your first? How would they put contact lenses in a giraffe? Like for like cats and dogs. Cats and dogs are easy, but giraffe, giraffe not, not so, so much. No, yeah. that's no. something. Hey, here's a question. I think about this sometimes. I wonder if giraffe, if there actually is a doctor who just specializes in giraffe throats. And I know that that sounds a little daft, but you think about like, the, the, the uh, giraffe's uvula. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. The sore-covered <laughs> uvula. Uh, but I mean, but, but I mean, that's a. That is, let's say, a specialized part of that animal because it's because really? it's Are you very really prominent. If anyone specializes in giraffe necks, well, I, the, just I, the th- But I think it's a fair question because you got to because that is the single largest part of a giraffe, and so therefore, and it, and plus, it's not like there is no other animal that has that has a neck like that. So it's not like it must come with its own problems because you because it's not just the swallowing of the food or the breathing or whatever. You got to figure that, that a giraffe has sort of spine issues that probably other animals wouldn't. So if you have a giraffe on a zoo or something, well, not if it sleeps on a comfortable bed. But doesn't? I don't believe that's. I don't believe that's probably the case. That's that's after contact lenses. That'll the be the next giraffe thing. Giraffe is starting to lose its meaning because we've said it so many times. I'm just saying, giraffe. It, you giraffe. figure that <laughs> that's got to pose its own sort of special challenges to somebody who is a zoologist. That's the only point I'm making here. Let's do one more. That's not about giraffes. Then we'll just move on. Uh, 30 Portlanders are on a special diet for the next 30 days. On Wednesday, the participants, including Mayor Sam Adams, dropped out their keys at City Hall. And they're going to be riding on public transportation seemingly forever. They have to use a public transportation, ride a bike, or or walk to get to where they need to go. They uh, support this diet because they believe it'll help their body, wallet, and environment all at the same time. That sounds such hippie. Why is it called a diet? That annoys me. I don't don't know. See, that sounds very politically correct. Well, that's what we were talking about earlier. That's why I immediately went to the thing if they were... Because city fathers will do this sometimes, where they will will live as one of the homeless. They will live as one of the downtrodden uh, for some time, just so they can show that they are empathetic with the plight of the less fortunate, which is always sort of a lie. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of a front. But you know what this is? This is so we can get more shots of Sam Adams and his chiseled physique riding a bicycle uh, through downtown because it seems like every third photograph I see of that guy. Well, he's, well, he's not so chiseled anymore, is he? I mean, I think this past year of scandals kind of... Do you think he's a stress eater? Well, he's, been, it, he's been less active than you. Well, I think, it's, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's amped up the aging process a little bit. <laughs> think, I got to say he's not, not still a good-looking fellow, but he definitely isn't as hot as he used to be. Well, I, I would say... Now, now, that t- is really mean to say. No, but let me, for it to sound no, like no, no, let me ask you this. Now, do, now is that... Be, let me ask you this, Sarah, as a, uh, as a person who appreciates aesthetics. 
Do you find Sam Adams less hot though because of because of the whole uh, the controversy? Yes. No. So it's not because, in other words, it's not the aura of, I mean, uh, I think, of scandal I, that makes him less attractive no, to you? No, I don't think it's... Uh, Is I it just, the glasses? No. Is it the doughy physique? It's, it's a little bit of the doughy. And a little bit of the... Un, like, I, I you know, it was always such a rallier for him. Like, just a little bit of, like, how... Like, he's kind of tainted now. Right? Yeah. I can't see him through the same, you know, rose-tinted Tainted mare. <laughs> I'll skip the obvious joke because everybody's doing it in their head. Um, well, I would say that it's like Bill Clinton. If you saw Bill Clinton at the beginning of the Lewinsky thing and then you saw him at the end of that whole scandal, he aged like a thousand years uh, in that however long it was during the Star Report, that uh, 18 months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And obviously being mayor is just a, you know, it's a, it's a tiny little sliver of what it's like to be president. But it's still you're, you know, you're the, the head of the executive branch. You're the top of the executive food chain in that in that particular world. And the idea that there was a guy out there, especially in Clinton's case, a guy whose soul, who is using the vast and unlimited resources of the government to try to uh, to eat your lunch, I mean that's got to be uniquely stressful. Um, and so uh, for Sam Adams, I would imagine. Plus, he wouldn't leave in the house a whole lot, so you're just sitting around. What is there to do but just uh, yeah. sit there and watch Sports Center? And I think and eat. that's it because I think it, he just kind of seemed like he be, became in my mind more guilty because he used to be so outspoken, and we'd always hear things from him, and then all of a sudden he just became quiet. And the only time we saw him was that whole incident when he couldn't get into City Hall because, because they, it was locked. Yeah, as soon his as key stopped, wouldn't work. As soon as he stopped talking, that's when you kind of start stop trusting. Somebody. Well, I'm trying to remember the last time he actually made a public appearance of some kind. I mean, do he we, wants to apologize. He doesn't speak very often. Do we uh, apology? I know. Well, you know, I had that whole thing. Uh, what was uh, we just talking about it, two months ago, something like that? I did that thing for National Record Store Day. I guess it was in April. I did this thing for National Record Store Day where I, uh, uh, our good friend uh, uh, Isaac uh, from from Jackpot, had put together this Record Store Day event at the Ace, uh, the Cleaners downtown next mm-hmm. to the Ace, and I was DJing there. He had some, you know, people, various people from. Portland uh, coming to DJ a set that night at the after party, and there was a guy from the Mercury and somebody from the Willamette, and then I did it, and actually Sam Adams was the guy right before me, oh. um, and Sam Adams was the sort of, he was the big name guest DJ that night, was uh, and his set was actually right before mine. Did I ever tell this story? I think. Uh, I think you might have told me off the air. Okay, so I can just tell now, uh, and then we'll uh, and then we'll uh, commence to wrap things up for the day. So in April there was National Record Store Day, which is just what it sounds like. It's where uh, local music retailers, the independent uh, music retailers, especially, try to remind people of how important the record store is to a city's cultural fabric. And obviously, we're big supporters of, the, of you know local yeah. music and of you know record stores and whatever. Anyway, so Isaac from Jackpot had put together this after party that was going to take place at the end of the whole thing. And his particular after party was at the Cleaners, which is a sort of a sort of a blank space next to the Ace Hotel where they do a lot of events. It's just sort of a big white room. And they had put together this whole thing there with, a, you know, the art exhibit that was a bunch of melted vinyl records. It was all very cool. And they had all of these sort of, quote, celebrity DJs. But then, like, the music editor from the Willamette who was there and, the, the, some, again, some guy from the Mercury. But the big name event, and if you look at the poster, it's a huge picture of Sam Adams. Was Sam Adams who played forty-five minutes worth of music, mm-hmm. all off vinyl? By the way, I should say I should give it up to him. It was all off vinyl. It was all local. It was all local vinyl bands. And I was scheduled to go on immediately after him, and it was sort of it was it was it was a little odd because there's that strange sort of there's that strange sort of. Tension in the air because that was before things had been resolved. It was before he, before Kroger's report had said that there, you know there was no criminal behavior that he could that he could find really. 
And there was just that odd sort of pregnant pause that always seemed to be lurking over everything, mm-hmm. regardless of where you stood on the issue, where you were kind of thinking like or the questions out there that you know that you don't want to ask. It's well, yeah, just kind of floating out there. And you're you know, and you're up there seeing him DJ the set, and you're just wondering like. You're wondering, like, well, where did he just come from? Where is he going? Like, is it after this? Is it just a night of home to the couch with a bottle of vodka? Um, but he DJs the set, and then I I went up and um, and I was next, and uh, you know, and, and look, was I, it after we had had Bo in the studio? Yeah, uh, that's the see, that's the thing. And look, and I'm not and I'm not going to try to, to, to you know, anything. What it was, I mean, obviously, I will say that it, it Sarah, was big, and All I will, the TV cameras are here. It was the biggest thing ever. And I will say, speaking only for myself, uh, I will they say still that, show footage of that. I'd say that I, I was I was firmly in the in the supporting Sam Adams camp when all of that stuff sort of exploded and you and know I'm I neutral. I have Tim is neutral as a newsman should be but Sarah and I uh, I think came out strongly in his defense which is not to say that he's not a uh, not a somewhat uh, creepy guy in some ways mm-hmm. um, the, but we were sort of strongly in his camp but we had also had Bo Breedlove on the on the show. And so he says, Isaac brings me in and he says, okay, uh, Rick, this is where you're going to be DJing. Here's the turntables. Oh, this is Mayor Sam Adams, by the way. And Sam leans over and he puts his hand on and he goes, and he shakes my hand. He goes, Rick? I said, you know, uh, Mr. Adams? Uh, and he, there was this long silence that just seemed to take about five or ten minutes. And he, um, and he said the weirdest thing to me. It was the delivery more than anything else. There was this long ellipsis. He shook my hand. He goes, I want to thank you so much for, su-. he said, I want to thank you so much for the support. Of local music, but the, but the pause between support and of local music was so long that I have always wondered if he was like speaking to me in code somehow for the show at that point, and it would to some degree being in his camp on the whole thing. Yeah, because he's called in before. I mean, we've yeah. spoken to him on the show. Yeah, and he said thanks for the support of local music, and I just, and I spent the Weird. rest of the night obsessing about whether he was trying to sort of with a wink and a nod kind of thank me for at least for Sarah and I sort of being being you know on his side with the whole thing. I guess he stays away from the phone these days. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out. Uh, before we do anything, ladies and gentlemen, we will uh, end this by uh, giving away a pair of two day passes to the Bymart Salute to the Troops one twenty five NASCAR race. Happening Saturday and Sunday, July 18th and 19th at PIR. If you're caller number 10 right now, you score a pair of those. 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. Pair of two-day passes, the Bymart Salute to the Troops 125 NASCAR race. And don't forget, you can also buy those for half off at KUFO.com, part of KUFO's half-off sale. Half off at KUFO.com. We want to thank CNN Radio Correspondents Steve Kastenbaum, as well as James Roop. We want to thank from the Oregonian music editor Ryan White, uh, who joined us today. He was great. We'll have him back. Uh, Dax Holt from TMZ as well. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include, once again, Dax Holt from TMZ with the latest in the Michael Jackson case and Aaron Geek in the city, Duran. Plus, uh, we will get to the top five tomorrow. Top five songs you're guaranteed to hear at a strip club. Rick Emerson produced today and every day by the lovely and talented and unflappable Sarah X. Dillon for Rock 101 KUFO. In the newsroom, Tim Riley on the phones, Greg Nibbler. The front desk, the gatekeepers, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Don't Ever With Me Reynolds, executive producer, Christopher J. Paddock. And, uh, of course, Smells Like the 90s coming up at 9 with our good friend, Buzz. It is Thursday, July 16th, 2009, and that is the frequency, Kenneth. My name is Rick Emerson. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. See you all tomorrow. Bye now. Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep is now concluded. Thank you for listening.